Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Please Watch This, a film podcast where two film-loving mates with gaps in their viewing history recommend films to one another so they can once and for all answer the question, who has better taste? My name is Hugh Dempsey, I'm joined as always by Sam Blakey. Hi Sam. Hello Hugh, how's How it going? Yes, no I'm good, I'm good, I'm, uh, I'm fired up. <laughs> are you ready to get into this week's uh, topic then? So I'm very the... ready. So for the listeners, uh, we've done a special three-part end-of-decade review. You can listen to that on your feed now if you haven't had a chance. Some some great stuff in there. You know, on this podcast, we tend to like to talk about films that we enjoy. We don't tend to talk about films we don't really like or don't think hold merit, do we, Sam? We tend to... Yeah, we, we are. Please watch this. We are. I love this thing. Will you like it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we try to be positive, don't we? And yeah, I think so. When we critique films that we watch we do it from a point of quality rather than just hating on something for the fact that it exists you know Mm -hmm. that kind of a way um this was until (laughs) we had a 10 minute rant (laughs) the other day uh yeah about a couple of films and that was more enjoyable i'll be honest it was quite nice to (laughs) just go at it yeah because ultimately these films get hyped up and then they come out and you watch them and they're not just disappointing, they're bad as well. And you wonder how they get away with having these things made. So this is our sort of episode where we look back at four films from the last decade that uh, me and Sam truly disliked. <laughs> yes. Quite honestly. And, and, and I think before we do, we, we, we're, yeah, we're focusing on four films, two each really. Um, Hugh, how, how do you, what makes you dislike a film? What are you looking for in a film? Are there regular, you know, things that get to you? Yeah, something something you like a red flag. You you see it in a film, and you go, "Oh, for f- this this is this this kind of film, is it?" Um, I have a few, and they don't all have to be present in every single film. I'm I am actually quite picky when it comes to film. Um, I don't, you know, no surprise to you, I guess, but uh, for the more casual listeners, maybe. <laughs> so if I get anything with bad dialogue in it or nonsensical dialogue, I'm mm. I'm already a bit incensed you know I'm is that is that dialogue where it. people don't speak like like human beings or what's bad dialogue for you um exposition that feels like it's come straight off the script yeah yeah um, when you know it's just the film trying to tell you something rather than two characters telling each other yeah, yeah. um dialogue that doesn't feel natural where two people don't actually sound like they're having a conversation two people in real life would have mm-hmm. yeah um that that gets. In, I like a lot of sci-fi films, so sometimes you can get a lot of that kind of dialogue. Into yeah, if they films. need to world build in the first five minutes, that it can be done really badly, can't it? Yeah, uh, I don't like bad story. Quite frankly, bad narrative. Or mm. um, th- there's a fine line between leaving an air of mystery and letting the audience work it out for the, it themselves, and then it just being poorly explained to what's happening. If you watch a film and you're kind of lost then I always think you've not looked after the audience correctly. Yeah, and I think some filmmakers think, oh, I've just made a complicated film, like, you know, people got lost in Inception, but that was the be- the beauty of it. Actually, it's, yeah, you didn't you didn't explain the premise well enough. Yeah. Um, that will come up again today. <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I had to have toned. a drink. <laughs> I suppose when the tone's all over the place. Yeah, when, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, when the narrative's bad, when the dialogue's bad, when the tone's incorrect. A big thing for us when we like a film is that it sets out how to watch that film, and I suppose when the tone is mismatched and it doesn't quite know whether to you know to be sort of grave or have levity or it doesn't really know how to do it, then then it makes sense that that's that's going to be a problem for us. I think of films as well for me. There has to be an air of tension and dramatic tension in a film, and if that's missing, it's a boring film, and a boring film is worse is almost worse than a bad film, because you don't feel like you're building to anything exciting. You know, that, ultimately, I always think films got have to be like music. You know, they have to build to crescendos, and then they can either drop off with a satisfying beat, drop, you know, drop the beat, or they can fail miserably and you're just going oh, that was a bit rubbish wasn't it yeah I, yeah i think that makes sense what about you what makes you dislike a film i uh, i agree with you on all those points i i dislike a film that um that doesn't know what it is you know because the, yeah. the films that we've chosen yeah. for today they they're kind of they're they're bad but there's worse films that you know most the films that we're talking about today all four of them actually have some excellent professionals working on them especially visually and, and that sort of thing you know really high budget films all four of them actually very high budget films kind of hundreds of millions of dollars type high budget films so they have really skilled professionals a lot of really good visual cgi work and all that sort of stuff but they don't know what they are they yeah like you say they're quite boring so something uh, i don't know like the worst song of all time isn't going to be something like Agadoo because Agadoo knows what it is. It's a sort of stupid party song. It might be the most annoying for some people. It might be the lowest quality for some people, but it's not the worst. The worst is a song that's trying to be high art and definitely isn't. So I hate it when a film is trying to be more than it is. In that sense. And, you know, I like a film being ambitious, but it, it tries to be high art, but actually just uses cheap tactics and, you know, one draft storytelling. And it's not, yeah, a film where you watch it and you go, how is that the final draft of that film? Yeah, where, at what point did they uh, think that was fine? Yeah, yeah, and then somebody else read it and said, yeah, that's fine. Screen run, and there's um, Pitch Meeting, the character that that guy over there on that channel on YouTube George, He's great. Yeah, he basically says, it's barely an inconvenience at all whenever Mm. plot logic is brought up. Yeah. Oh, so won't it be a problem when this happens? No, no, that'll be that's fine. <laughs> you know, it's absolutely fine. Yeah. No, I, th- I think the listener we've mentioned it. We have mentioned it a few times now. I think if you haven't been watching pitch meetings on YouTube, that would be an excellent place to go. But in fact, for all four of these films, I think there's a good pitch meeting as well. So yeah. we're gonna try. We're gonna try our best not to step on the toes of cinema sins and pitch meetings because that's what. I think both of us really enjoy on YouTube as well as a bunch of different video essays that will get to people like Phil Mento and and so on. Um, yeah, there's a difference between, say, something like Cinema Sins where it's intentionally picky. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, there's a bit in yeah. Fan- Fan- Fantastic Four, which is one of the films we're doing today, uh, where on Cinema Sins he picked up that uh, Miles Teller's, uh, Reed Richards' dad, sat watching a college football game, and it was from 2007, but it was from the wrong night. And it's like silly little things like that. Yeah, that, that, that doesn't That's the fun really. of it. You know, yeah. That doesn't really bother me if I maybe if I would if I had watched that game maybe and I was like well, that <laughs> if was he was watching you know to be. the Champions League final 1999 which yeah. we know fondly then that would yeah but you're right um, cinema since is a kind of like 30% really good insightful points about plot and, and stupid things 50% fart jokes <laughs> you know and another 20% sort of picky things that aren't really a problem but it's just entertainment you know so yeah uh, but we'll, maybe we'll put a few links on Twitter to, to the, our favourite places on youtube for film 
Right, okay, so what we're going to do, we've got four films lined up for you this for today's podcast. We're going to do them in chronological order, because, you know, we love a bit of chronology here on... Uh, Oh, please watch this. So we're, we're going to mad s- about chronology. We are. So yeah. what we're going to do is we're going. So the four films we're doing is 2013, I believe, Lucy. Yep. Yep. With Scarlett Johansson in. Uh, then we're going to do 2015, as I've already mentioned, the Fantastic Four. Then we're going to do 2016, Batman versus Superman, and then we're going to do finally Suicide Squad, also from 2016. They're the four films that we picked of the last decade that we felt. <sighs> Swung, missed so hard, they fell over into the dirt with their face covered in shit. <laughs> and, you know, these are all four, all four of these films have been panned by many, many people, loved by some, but uh, I think they're relatively popular choices for this. Uh, please don't watch this special. We should say that, you know, this is a, a little special. If we were more cynical people, we'd, um, we'd create this a Patreon page and we'd make this only available to our patrons but uh charging your brother a pound to exactly that poor guy (laughs) for all he's done for us um so yeah should we get straight into it let's get into it so sam tell me why you don't like the film lucy okay lucy why shouldn't i watch that oh dear right um i'm gonna give you a little (laughs) plot synopsis first always Uh, a good start yeah if you or the listener hasn't uh you know heard about this film before then I'll uh, feed, I just, oh God, anyway. So, a woman, played by Scarlett Johansson, is coerced into being a sort of drug mule um, for some shady Korean-type, Taiwanese-type people. And um, uh, and she, so they, they put the drugs in her stomach, and then she annoys one of the people, and he kicks her in the stomach, because he's not been told, <laughs> presumably. Um, and the drugs kind of release and they go into a bloodstream and it turns out these drugs are a way of accessing the 90% of your cerebral capacity that we've not been using because that's what, you know, urban myths tell us. Um, Would you, just just a quick interjection, would you like to share with the listeners a little story you told me recently about uh, when a student asked you about that exact fact, what your response (laughs) to it was? Yeah, I mean, I I like not to swear, usually in classrooms, but um, yeah. (laughs) It's always a good rule. Yeah. So for those who are new to the show, I teach psychology and we were were doing a a topic by biopsychology, a lot about the brain. And a student said, is it true that we only use 10% of our brain? And before I used any of my 10%, I blurted out, no, that's bollocks. (laughs) And, you know, just, there's no filter because it's 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 a really annoying myth and it's a myth that people everyone knows is a myth as well so it originates presumably the the theory is because william james who is a very early psychologist he gave lots of tours and and speeches and he he talked about how we might only use 10 percent of our potential and then that's been mistranslated and reused and rehashed and is now in two or more you know huge hollywood films lucy and limitless which i will mention later um so these drugs, they start to seep into her system. Uh, Q and Exposition Symposium by Morgan Freeman, spouting the biggest load of shite you've ever heard about cerebral capacity in his, <laughs> you know, with his gravitas. Um, yeah. And he, he sort of, he, he basically poses the question, what if we could access more of our brain's capacity uh, than it's evolved, than, than we're using? Because obviously we've evolved more than that. We're not using the things we evolved for, which is exactly how evolution works. I'll get to that. Um, so <laughs> now, the, can I ask just what are you doing this? Because I like to. Because I've not seen this film, so okay. I want to just. So I'm going to ask a few questions as we okay. go about it. Yeah. Um, so, is your main gripe with this film because of the, you know, the bad science, and that the rest and the film's actually 
once you get past the the implausibility of the uh, central premise, you know, you're able to suspend your disbelief, and then the film is is you know watchable. You know, we've all seen you know five out of tens or four out of tens that are passable as action films or thrillers or you know action thrillers. So, is it on those lines, or is it that it completely doesn't know what it's trying to be and the plot's just incredulous. Give me some it's, more detail. It's a good question, yeah. Give me a synopsis. So, Go through the storyline. There's, there's an interview with Luke Besson um, who oh, says that's a red that, flag. <laughs> so he wrote and directed it. He said that he knows he knows that we're not really only using 10% of our brain, but it's a film. It's like a sci-fi concept. Um, and then he says it, he knows it's true that we're only using up to 15% of our neurons at any time. So he's kind of, it's kind of mixing truth and, and myth. And fucking isn't. <laughs> it fucking isn't. If you're lifting your leg, you're not moving, moving the muscles in your arm. It has no... Con- it means nothing about... You can still move your arm. <laughs> you still have access to that. Like, your whole brain does different things. You know, your occipital lobe is where you see things. Your somatosensory cortex is where you feel things. If you're using all these somatosensory cortex at the same time, you'd be feeling things <laughs> everywhere in your whole fucking body. And we not. <laughs> so it doesn't make any sense. Um, so that's bollocks. Um, right, okay. But, but yeah, that should that ruin the film? Because actually, it's quite an interesting concept, isn't it? Okay, we're going to take this one bit of mumbo jumbo, which you're allowed to do in a film, um, and then we're going to run with it. You know, Blade is a really good film, even though vampires aren't real. And it's annoying that some people think that vampires are real. It is annoying that. And that film might perpetuate the myth that vampires are real. And so for about, you know, 0.01% of people who believe vampires are real, that's a bit annoying. But I look past that and I can enjoy it. Limitless uses the same basic concept, you know, Bradley Cooper. I have seen is, Limitless. I like it's a good Limitless. film, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's good fun. I really it's- like that film. Yeah, it's. I don't know if it knows exactly what itself it wants to be. I don't know if it wants to know be a crime thriller, but I enjoyed that it does spend a lot of time showing. I love a good montage. I'm not going to lie. So I love a good bit of <laughs> yeah. But he's but it's just a typing and cleaning up montage. But it's a really good film because it goes okay. We've got well, this I one really good. It's it's serviceable. <laughs> Yeah, but it's serviceable. It's an enjoyable film that I've seen five out three or four times. It's it's good, um, or goodish. But the, po- the the good thing about that film is it goes okay. Here's the one bit of mumbo jumbo that we're going to need you to accept, and that is that we're not using all of our brain power, like potential, and this drug helps you to unlock the rest. What it doesn't do is it, two things. It doesn't then give him powers that the brain couldn't do without somebody you know speeding up the connections maybe creating more neurons and synapses and that sort of thing because our brain is very plastic it is very good at building more connections and 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 cells um what lucy does is two problems it leans on that concept way too much you go okay please don't insult me more i'm happy to accept that she's unlocking more of her potential but don't flash up on screen now she's at 30%. Now she's at 40%. Don't give me Morgan Freeman talking to a room full of experts and students about this bullshit and they're all impressed and clapping and taking notes. These students are taking notes. Oh, it's not one of saying, these films where experts oh, all God. talk to each other about their job and... There's plenty of that. There's plenty you of know that. Where and, it's like, yes, I do this for a living as well. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you explaining this to me? And the problem is that the film is based so much on evolution. It's got this kind of montage, uh, several montages where it cuts to these, like nature footage shots of animals and it's kind of basically saying that we've evolved and I'll get into this more in my least favourite scene which is the exposition symposium uh, later on. Um, The problem is it it cites evolution so much which is the number one 
sort of problem with the whole theory that we only use 10% of our brain anyway because evolution would sort it out like if we're not going to use it we wouldn't evolve it it wouldn't keep going in the same way that kind of fish very deep underwater that never have any light tend not to have good vision because they've not used them or worms underground haven't used vision so they don't pass it on because it's not advantageous and it's only taking up energy yeah but evolution so, does have some redundant features that people have you know there's not, it's not it does but it's not certain, not 90 percent of your super and if you could <laughs> no, see no. some of the so the other problem is what what lucy i'm just Campbell playing did. devil advocate here and it sets it up like this is a fascinating question what could we do with the other 90 percent? and that's an interesting question on its own but not when you kind of think about it too much and the film tries to get you to think about it too much without ever thinking about it itself which is really annoying um, okay so what and it does... comes down to oh, some of the skills that she develops <laughs> okay so the, the basically the film yeah. is she gets this thing she's got to evade the people who are trying to catch her why whilst... are they trying to catch her give us a bit more detail on the actual plot then after once she once these drugs <laughs> rupture in her stomach yeah is she, she running then, from the drug dealers? Is she running from the government? A combination thereof. Her job after that is she. But well, she starts to lose her humanity. The kind of more um, she uses the brain, the less she kind of feels things for people about people, which is a bit stupid. That seems logical. <laughs> except for the fact that yeah like our major steps in evolution were our ability to feel kinship and empathy and and socialize and that's what we do better than a lot of other animals um so yeah she's what she's doing is she's looking for morgan freeman because she knows he's the world's leading expert on this shite and she's also looking at like running away from these the, these seem to be high level korean mobster people they're very powerful very rich what are korean mobsters called uh because oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, you've got Yakuza in Japan and you've got the Triads in China. What are the Korean ones called? Oh, I don't it? know. I just yeah, if I anyone know. out there knows, let us know. Is it? Yeah, please let watch us know. This. Please watch this. Pod at gmail dot com. I'd like to know. Twitter, if you are a Korean gangster, get in touch. <laughs> get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Um, so they're they're going to track her down. They're going to try and kill her. Okay. Um, and she's all the while it's building and she's getting more and more access. So it, through the film, it goes up in what she can do. Um. Eventually, she does find Morgan Freeman, and they try to. Is there a sorry? Is there a reason why it's going up more and more? What like when these drugs ruptured? Why didn't they just all rupture at once? And she got all the powers all at once. She then gets she gets more packs because there were other drug mules as well. So it starts to affect her, like in Limitless. Actually, it starts to affect him negatively. So he needs to get more tablets. It's kind of like an addiction. Uh, she gets more packs. So it, you know, it's like a process, and over time. So do you know, do you want to know some of the things she can do? Yeah, go on. Give us a list of her. If, if we could only, if we could only access more of our brain power, these are some of the fucking things she can do. Right? She can <laughs> let, like, as soon as the drugs rupture, she's she's chained to a wall. Immediately, she levitates to the ceiling. Immediately, her levitates to the ceiling. She's only hanging on by this by this chain. Right? That's first thing. Um, telekinesis. Um, immediately translates signs from Korean to English. Like the first sign she sees, she sees she immediately translates it because it just makes perfect sense to her. She can use the force, you know, Vader at the end of Rogue One. That's yep. she does that, like especially in the like big battle sequences. She spends a lot of the time driving the wrong way down the street and sort of spinning and, and driving. But then occasionally, if she's going to hit someone, she just uses the force and the cars move away, and presumably people die because she doesn't care about humanity anymore. She can do, and then the, the other bullet point I've got is literally everything. She can literally do everything. This is right. This is the worst. <laughs> this is the worst offender. She's trying to track down basically where someone's going. So she needs to know a particular flight. So what she does, she goes back in her mind to a room she was in and she does this, the, the camera pans out and it 3Ds, 
goes around the room, finds his passport that someone's got in their hand, and, it, and there's a plane ticket hanging out of it, and it's got the details about the flight on the plane ticket. Now, what what those drugs have done, they've not like just increased the cerebral capacity. They've maybe added more photoreceptors to a retina that she can take in more... Like, <laughs> how can your brain do more retroactively? <laughs> you can't. It can't go back and make you, an, a day earlier, have better vision. Like, we have a very limited vision. We have a foveal view, like lots of receptors in the middle of our view. Our periphery is actually really bad. To actually see something that we couldn't have seen because you can access more of your cerebral capacity that you've evolved. (laughs) That's where it lost me. So it's not the concept of the 10%. It's what they do with the other fucking 90% (laughs) that really goes me off. And do you know... Oh, God. Um, Do you know why this film's called Lucy? Do you know why she's called Lucy? Oh, um, let me guess. I heard this at the time and I can't remember. It's something to do with... Is it... Something to do with like an animal that was they trialed something within the sixties or something and that was called Lucy as well. Yeah, uh, it's not, but you're sort of in the right ballpark, basically. And this to quote the film, uh, to, to quote Euron Greyjoy, who's in the film, because the first woman was named Lucy. Now that's not fucking true either. <laughs> it was an early Australopithecus, different, you know, some. Oh species. yes, of course, Lucy. Yeah, and the earliest I've heard of Lucy. You I know. Have. Not the first woman, different species <laughs> to Homo sapien, but you know that's the that's the starting point for this fucking film. And um, Luke Besson was asked what interested him about this story, and he said he was interested in intelligence and wanted to know what was true and what wasn't. And he's fucking covered the latter. You know, he's nowhere near to closer to what is true about intelligence. He's yeah. um, he's he's a lot fucking hell. Yeah. So, oh, this film. Right, okay. So so what happens in the end of the film? What's sort of the resolution? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> right. Well, Spoilers alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so she looked... The good, oh, she gets to Morgan Freeman. They're in this building, and a bunch of these Korean people are just shooting everything in Paris, and they're shooting all these people in the building. And she says, okay, I need to focus now. And you think, well... You're just focusing now to draw attention. You could literally kill all the any threat that that's you could sort them out and then focus. But no, we need a, a tense battle. So they're shooting this room. She's sat in a chair. She's helpless because she needs just needs to focus. Um, and what she does with focusing is she turns herself into a USB stick. You are, and <laughs> she turns herself into a US motherfucking bee stick, uh, <laughs> and then like, she's can, gone. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I've heard the words you said in English. I understood them, but yet I've not comprehended. <laughs> so, is this one of her abilities that she can transform? She hundred percent. That's hundred percent. That's in the final form of. <laughs> yeah, and then Morgan Freeman, because he's there to expose it, uh, when the other experts say, "What's she doing?" He says she's looking for energy, she's looking for matter, and she goes into like the mainframe of the computer and stuff, and then all this like awful like venom, like symbiotic ha- like material matter stuff comes out, and then it's a USB stick, and he says it's the evolution of computers, it's the next generation of computers. So and wait, then... how can a drug <laughs> designed to make a human more intelligent to unlock <laughs> capacities within their brain? suddenly transform a human into something that can interact with oh, inanimate matter and make the computer achieve singularity well, as it's when known. She's at about, when she's Is that at what about happens? 20%. Am I getting this right? That's basically... When she's at about 20%, she, That's immediately, fucking changes, insane. she immediately changes the length and colour of her hair. Immediately. When she's at about 20%. Yeah, it's really insane. And then um, a character says, where is she? And he, and he looks at his phone, he's got a text, and it says, I am everywhere. And then she goes back in time and she's in some what? of the nature shots that we saw earlier in the film. She's this like 
you know, Native American tribe. And then she sees Lucy, the Australopithecus. What, and murders her and puts her in the oil <laughs> or the ground uh, well, so she can no, in fact, the final, the final lines which echo the first line. So the first line of this film uh, is obviously narration in her sultry Scarjo voice over, you know, like meaningless narration stuff. What does she say? She says... Um, Oh, uh, life was given to us. Ten off. <laughs> Chips at McDonald's when you spend over $30. They, they, it paid for the film, did that sponsorship, yeah. Now she says, life was given to us a billion years ago. What have we done with it? And then at the end she says, life was given to a billion years ago. Now you know what to do with it. And you just go, no, I fucking don't, except never watch this fucking film again. <laughs> it's another two hours of my... Well, 85 minutes of my life I'll never get back. It is mercilessly yeah. Well, short. fortunately for you, only uh, 90% of your... Only 10% of your brain was looking at the film at the time. God. Another 90% was busy, you know, keeping you alive, so... The evidence you know, that we use more than 10% more. of our brain is I, it was is that at least 90% of my brain was insulted by this fucking thing. <laughs> so, this is my this is my least favourite scene. The worst scene and yeah. line all come together. Okay. Oh, God, right. So, this is the... Morgan Freeman is at a symposium. He's talking, he's lecturing to some experts and students who have paid him to do this. He says, most species only use 3 to 5% of their cerebral capacity. That's not fucking true either. Um, humans at the top of the chain use more of their cerebral capacity. 10%, 10% may not seem like much, but it's a lot when you look at what we've done with it. Cue montage of things humans have done. Starting with a man with cardboard wings sellotaped to his arms. And there's lots of dancing. <laughs> a Rubik's Cube. There's all kinds of stuff. Oh, God. And it, oh God, it, maybe you'll know this. The only living being that uses its brain better than us. Can you guess who? Uh, the dolphin the dolphin yeah. the f- uses 20% of his brain um, his evidence for this is because it, it uses echolocation fuck off like that's it lots of it animals uses, use echolocation lots of animals use echolocation and dolphins can't do algorithms do you know what I mean like uh, it's just it's like playing to scientific myths that 45 year old Karen's believe do you know what I mean it, <laughs> uh, and then he says and, and it, so they've got a, they've got echolocation whereas humans have to invent echolocation and use machines so this brings us to the crucial part to our philosophical reflection can we conclude that humans are more concerned with having than being and you just think what is the, is this and then students are taking notes <clears throat> what does that even mean yeah people are more uh, interested in having than being that's and he's, he's trying to he's trying to give this like a history of evolution and he says if the habitat is unfavourable a cell will choose immortality if it's favourable it will choose to reproduce it will choose immortality if the habitat isn't favourable to reproduction that, that's the two options apparently and Obviously. then it will reproduce so that I'm no can, scientist uh, but that's Sounds correct to me. Yeah, and if it reproduces, we get evolution because things can pass on their knowledge. And you go, did Darwin not happen to this film? We stuck just after Lamarck said, oh yeah, giraffes sort of stretch their neck a bit, and then they have children who've got slightly more stretched necks, and then they stretch their necks. <laughs> it's like, no, you don't pass knowledge through reproduction. And then he says, um, humans have 100 billion neurons, which is uh, approximately true. Um, but he says, only 15% are activated. Oh, fuck off. Again, get to fuck. Because <laughs> with different neurons do different things because in different parts of your nervous system. What? Uh, and you just... And I, so they don't, like, like travel around in a big group together all in one go during <laughs> yeah. the day. Like, going, well, look, you've... There's a true... What, did you, how many neurons did you say there was? About Sorry. 100 billion. So, About 100 billion. like, 100 billion. So, like, what? what's that? Like... 
a billion of them are just sat going, <laughs> going. God, we're doing all the work over here. Come on, yeah. Lads. So, so fifteen percent, so fifteen billion of them are doing the work. That means that we've got eighty-five billion neurons that aren't being activated. And I just think that's not true. Firstly, because different neurons do different things. So it's just like no. It, the problem is that they double down on that mumbo jumbo, and it forces you to think about it. And you go, well, that's obviously not true. Whereas limitless, it just, it just, it's just slid by. We only use about ten percent of our potential, our brain's potential. So this accesses more. If, when you start saying things like only some neurons are activated and others aren't, that is obviously not true because you think, well, I know that different parts of the brain probably do different things. So what does that mean? <laughs> you know, there's just loads of them there getting by. Like the brain is only about two or three percent of your body weight, but it uses about twenty percent of your blood of the oxygen in your blood yeah so that it's a really thirsty organ and it wouldn't have all those <laughs> or they would atrophy they would they would immediately atrophy if they weren't being used so we have a thing called pruning or apoptosis where if you don't use something in your brain you lose it right. because like when you're two you've got more brain connections than when you're 20 isn't that isn't a Poptosis isn't that um, what makes children have the malleability to learn any language? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if, if you or I mature. try to learn, if you or I try to learn Arabic, we'd struggle with those sounds forever or for a long time because we we prune away those abilities, those yeah. the potential for those abilities earlier. So I buy into the idea that we have the potential to do more than we do, but this film, oh, this film. Oh dear, right, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so if you were to give this um, a rating out of 90%, what rating would you give it? Uh, less than 10%, <laughs> that's for fucking sure. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, I, I, I feel like you've got something off your chest there. I really, this is so therapeutic. I mean, so, I had to have a drink to get ready for this, because this is really good. <laughs> so what happened to Lucy in the end? What actually happened to the character? So she becomes like... She's everywhere. Pathetic. Oh, she's just in the computers now. She's just everywhere, yeah. So I they, mean, not like Ultron in the internet. She's just exists everywhere. Like, she goes back in time. Oh, and yeah, she you say, is, sorry. She's like yeah. a god. Right, okay. <sighs> Which, you know, it makes that sense. Sounds... You know, natural selection would mean it so that, you know... But, but we have the potential that, to be gods. But how is she <laughs> even time travel <laughs> from taking a few pills in her stomach? That's it, and true. it wasn't even a machine. She just she just travelled through. Oh, this is a word. Actually, you know what? The, and this is me pouring another a very heavy glass of booze. Um, the most egregious problem in this film is not uh, what her brain can do. It's when she gets all this brain power, she starts using a computer. And to show how quick and fast she is, she's bringing up loads of windows and typing loads of things and lots of different things. At one point, she's using two laptops, one with each hand. Uh, but the laptops haven't been given this drug. The, like, my laptop, I'll press a thing and it'll take 10 seconds for it to open. And then I'll press another thing and it'll take 15 seconds for it to open. Hers is maybe, just, she's, oh, maybe she's defragging it as well. If she's <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. It doesn't show her, like, inventing a thing, putting it in, and then, okay, that's fine. I'll accept that she can make a computer faster. She, it, it's just really fast and I go right that was the point at which well it had already gone really way you know it jumped the shark <laughs> it had jumped the fucking <laughs> you know blue whale the dolphin <laughs> <laughs> yeah with it's 20% of its brain capacity use <sighs> um, little dolphin <laughs> but you go okay you go oh okay maybe there's several layers of mumbo jumbo and okay we'll accept it's it's a thought experiment that they're just trying to do in a creative fun sci-fi way um, but then they throw in something like that and you go well that's just insulting that she could use a computer really fast like you're thinking you're you're putting that on the screen thinking that any regular viewer myself included isn't immediately going to go 
well, my computer can't do that. <laughs> you know, she's just using her friend's laptop. Or her sister's laptop. Oh, so I can't remember. It doesn't really matter. She's just using a laptop. And mm. it goes really fast. It's like that scene in Hackers when one person's hacking on, on a keyboard and they need to go fast. Oh, I think it's Hackers or CSI or something. And the other person, and they need to go <laughs> faster. So the other person gets on the same keyboard and starts typing as well. <laughs> so you've got two people typing on the same So it's cause twice as fast because there's two people typing on the keyboard. And you go, that's actually not just stupid, that's insulting. Like that was my that was the overriding feeling coming out of Luke. So Thomas. I'm insulted by this. Whose film. fault is this film? Luke Besson. He wrote yeah. and directed it. Scarlett Johansson does a good job uh, at doing what she's supposed to do. Morgan Freeman does a good job at doing what she's supposed to do. It's completely Luke Besson's fault. The the the, the visuals look really good. It's a beautiful looking film in many ways. They're just sort of um, the visuals of the drug inside. It's like in house. The visuals of the drugs inside are like popping yeah. in and interacting with the body really looks great I mean Luke Besson's famous for Leon um, The Fifth yeah. Element two amazing films I um, really like some of his work but yeah. I hate a lot of it as well it was really annoying yeah it was really well, annoying apparently film. Lucy came out in 2014 not 2014 at least it's still, it's still in the right running order at least but yeah I mean I tried to repress it until this week yeah Okay, so I've got some figures here. So this film actually made money. So it cost an estimated forty million US dollars to make. It made forty three million on its opening weekend in the America, and then worldwide it grossed four hundred fifty eight million. So it made its money back. So you can't you can't trust people, Hugh. People vote for the Nazis and like Coldplay, <laughs> as our friend Superhands says. Yeah, it's a beautiful film. It's got Scarlett Johansson. It was a very bankable start and very attractive. And I hate it normally when filmmakers sort of leer and they're, you know, female leads and, and just talk about, and it's just about how sexy they are. That was the only good film, thing about this film, was occasionally get to see Scarlett Johansson <sighs> wobbling about <laughs> in slow-mo. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, it was that's, like... That's what I... Yeah. When I look at a girl in slow-mo, I think, whoa, look at the wobble. <laughs> Check out the wobble on that. <laughs> that's why I'm uh, attracted to wobble. <laughs> it was the only good thing about this film. <laughs> yeah. It's funny you should say about films leering over the uh, leads, and this, we're going to come on to that in a bit. <laughs> we certainly are, yeah, yeah. God. Right, okay. Well, Before what we're going to do... Gone, we're going to go for a quick... Oh, have you got some more thing to say? Critics. critics. Oh, yes, of course. So, what did the, give me the flavour of what our uh, critical <sighs> friends inside the movie uh, reviewing it, industry it, believed on it this It varies, film. it varies. But Metacritic, 61%. And I was looking That's to reasonable. see what... I know, yeah, not bad. I was looking to see what our friend Mark Kermode said about it, but he was away that week and Robbie Collins sat in. And okay. he, was just, he was just praising it. He was just happy with it. But I got a, a written review from Game Toro in the playlist. Gave it 83%. Saying right. it's basically the perfect summer movie because it's designed to be. So, is it you that's wrong about this? <laughs> well, film? I did, when, I read that, when I looked at it, I was like, oh, maybe, yeah, maybe just it's sci fi, so it's thought experiment. Maybe I'm not supposed to. But sci fi is supposed to be smart. It's like a thought experiment, it's supposed to be like, here's a realistic scenario. What would happen if this happened? And again, that's fine. The Limitless did it in a really good way because it said, what if we could use more of our brain power? It didn't lean on the nonsense or. Multiply the nonsense a million times. Now, luckily, John DeFore at The Hollywood Reporter agreed with me. I didn't get a percentage here, but it was very low. I think about 40% or less. Besson's script offers neither the well-drawn character dynamics nor the clear motivations of a decent comic book, comic book origin story, and as it is cl- quickly clear that nobody has much chance of stopping Lucy, action sequence carry little weight. And that's really true. As soon as she starts to access these brain power areas, you go, well, there's no drama left in this film because she literally... its its, it's There's a hallway scene where she goes up and destroys people almost ex- frame for frame in the same way that 
Darth Vader does at the end of Rogue One. Spoiler yeah. alert for Rogue One. Uh, without the lightsabers, you know, kind of people come at her and she flies them to the ceiling or she flips them over with her brain and she doesn't use her hands at any point. You know, it's just... Uh, so the action in this that. is just at best functional to move the plot along, to show it's, off her powers. Yeah. Because, like you said, there's no... There's no threat, is there? I think one good thing you could say about that scene in Rogue One is, obviously, you know, Darth Vader is isn't going to lose that fight per se. But you're and you, like it was weird when I when I watched it originally. I was like, right, well, I know they get the plans to the Death Star. I know Darth Vader doesn't die, but this scene is filmed so excitingly, so well. Yeah, you feel the terror in the uh, the Rebel Alliance soldiers' eyes because he's actually quite close to getting there. You know, yeah. he's the because if if it was Lucy hunting something down. Then you go, wow, this... Oh, well, even that would be bullshit. They're trying to stop her and they've got guns and, and there's no peril at all because she just... Why can't she be shot? Do, can she sense the bullets? Is she the is she Neo? <laughs> Do you know what? Like, sometimes she it, it knows everything. Sometimes, like, there's one bit where she's driving along in a car, right right when she's about 70% of her brain capacity, and, the, like, main, one of the main spy buddy people is looking right at her in traffic and she just looks past him. And you go, well, that's, yeah, inconsistent. This film doesn't deserve to be seen by anybody. Right. Okay. That's my view. <laughs> so that. So would you recommend this film? To <laughs> yes. Let's do it next week. See how you feel about it. Um, I'm it's on take, Netflix. I'm take a pass. <laughs> Although I do want to, now that you you rated so badly, I'm almost in a perverse way want to see this film to see if I mm. agree with you on it because, yeah. Because I don't obviously have the depth of knowledge that you have about the human brain. And honestly, and honestly, you don't need background. to. You don't need to. <laughs> honestly, I, I would say, I would say, skip uh, about fifteen minutes or so. Look at the Morgan Freeman symposium, and go, God, he actually had to say those words. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's laughing all the way to the back. Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it, uh, yeah. yeah. So okay. you are kind of interested in watching it now. <laughs> yeah. Perversely. Again, as in a in like because I remember when it came out, I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. I didn't know it was Luke Besson, um, yeah. which, yeah, he either makes a really good film or he makes a really terrible film. There's no, there's no middle ground with Luke Besson. I've noticed. Um, yeah, yeah, a bit like Ridley Scott in that respect. <laughs> um, so yeah. Anyway, well, that's Lucy. Um, yeah. Please don't watch it. Uh, <laughs> please save yourself just the time. Do, yeah. I've just saved you eighty-five minutes. Yeah. Okay. So coming up after the break, we are going to do. Fantastic Four. Oh, fan four stick. I'm going to go for a cold shower <laughs> just to calm down. <laughs> and uh, yeah, see you after the break, people. Hello and welcome back to Please Watch This Or as this episode show should be called, please don't yeah, watch this. absolutely. I feel rejuvenated after <laughs> hating on Lucy so much. You sound like a new yeah, man. I feel, I, think, I feel like my cold, my cold is gone. <laughs> it's cleared. <laughs> so Hugh, now's your turn for some yeah. uh, therapy. We're all here to, to help you. This is a safe space. What's yeah. the film you'd like to yeah. rant and rave about? So the first film, as I mentioned earlier, we're gonna I'm going to pick up on is Fantastic Four, or as the promotional material called it, Fan Fantastic. Because they put an A where they put a four, sorry, where the A should be in Fantastic. <laughs> it's it's how intelligent their marketing it's team was. So do you want to give us a little plot yeah. synopsis of this film? I'm going to give you some before I give you a plot synopsis. I'm just going to give you a bit of context historically to where this film mm. sat in sort of movies of the time, you know, because we're going back about four or five years now. You know, the world has changed since this. It was before Brexit, before Trump, before Johnson, you know, before, um, I don't know, <laughs> uh, 
Man City won back-to-back yeah. leagues. <laughs> you know, everything. an awful thing in my opinion, yeah. Yeah, so this is essentially... So what, 2014, so you'd had the first Avengers film had come out, you had... Um, yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy had come out, uh, Captain America, the second film of that, The Winter Soldier had come out. So you'd had some really solid Marvel MCU properties that had come out, you know, that really good. Yeah, no follow, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's some of them aren't as strong as the others. You know, Thor The Dark World in 2013, not a great film, but demonstrably better than what we're, we're going <laughs> to talk about now. They figured out the formula a so, bit, haven't they? Yes. Oh, they'd they certainly figured def- out what oh, doesn't yeah. work. You know, when Thor came out, you go, okay, yeah. that doesn't work. Let's not do that again. Yeah. And the, because they had films like Daredevil <laughs> from 2004, they had the original Fantastic Four films that had come out. They saw them and saw how lightweight they were. So there was a, there was a you know, from The Dark Knight onwards, or even from Batman Begins onward, I would say, in the film genre of comic book movies, there has been a maturing attitude towards the target audience, the scripts, how we look at the source material. Um, and so what happens for me is you get good trailers that offer something new and different that isn't what you weren't expecting. It subverts expectation. And the trailer to this film looked like it subverted the expectation of the Fantastic Four. Obviously, we'd had the two films in the 2000s. They were pretty terrible. I grew up watching the Fantastic Four TV show in the 90s. That was great as a kid when I was 8, 9, 10 years old. Um, but, you know, a bit, you know, knew what it was and knew its audience. Where with this, they went, right, what we'll do is we'll get an indie director who's had some success. And Marvel had shown that you could do this with, say, like the Russos who'd had all the success with Community, you know. That was a risk for them to take on TV directors, I think, at that time. So who time. did uh, and Forsting? So, have you heard of the film Chronicle? Uh, I've never seen it. You've never seen it, yeah, but you've heard of it, yeah. yeah? Yeah, good, really good film. Good fun. Uh, it's got Michael B. Jordan, one of the stars of this film, in it. It's got Paul Dano in it, I think. Oh, no, sorry. Miles um, D- No, sorry, Dale's... D- uh, thingy DeHaan. Oh, Dale um, DeHaan. Dane DeHaan's in it, yeah. He's like the villain of the piece. He's brilliant in it. It's a really good film. Made for $12 million, and I think it made 10 times that back, apparently. So, Fox decided, oh, well, we're going to get this guy in-house, a director called Josh Trank. They're going to get him in-house, and they're going to give him some of their Marvel properties that they owned at the time, including the uh, the rights to Fantastic Four. They were like, we need to make another Fantastic Four before the rights revert back to Marvel. Let's take this in a different direction and we'll, we've had a success with Chronicle. Let's see what he can do. Now, it turns out Josh Trank isn't very good at handling big budget films. Yeah, it's a whole other skill set. But you're right, they the right to take a risk generally, aren't they? I mean, it's not... Oh, dear. Yeah, yeah and you know, you look at you look at Thor Ragnarok, Taika Waititi, yeah. knocked it out of the ballpark with an indie-style big budget Yeah, with a budget film. ten times anything he's ever had, so more. yeah. It, it, you know, they prove that these films can be made by these, you know, quote-unquote indie directors. Yeah. I have nothing against that. I think, if anything, I've almost got to applaud their ambition. What I can't applaud is that the producers clearly spent too much time meddling with this film and didn't believe in the director's vision. Now, he also, at the same time, has a lot of blame to be taken for this film. So, 
But what, let, me, let me give you, like you asked earlier, let me give you a brief outline of the film. So, you know, people may be aware of the Fantastic Four and all this. So the film starts off, uh, you see Reed Richards, uh, played by Miles Teller, and you see Michael, uh, sorry, you see um, the other character who plays Ben Grimm, um, Britain's own Jamie Bell, and he's there, uh, they're friends, and Richards is this really smart kid, he's building something in his garage at home, and it's this matter transporter, basically. Basically, he steals the teleporters from Star Trek, <laughs> as his main idea. But that's fine, they do it in a kind of a, an indie way, and uh, you know, like you were saying earlier, we've mentioned here on the pod before, a film's supposed to tell you how to watch this film in the first act maybe even that far but usually in the first 10 minutes so it goes here you go two characters the mates they've got this project one of them's really smart uh, the other one's kind of the muscle and the guy who gets things done and <laughs> you know they, they work in synergy together and then f- yeah so they transport this little car away and s- some mud comes back these they're little kids they're about 10 at this point kind of pointless <laughs> uh, maybe 12 because what does it add it doesn't add anything to the plot right. other than he gets told he's an idiot by his teacher, who quite probably <laughs> yeah. shouldn't be Dan teaching. Castone, uh, yeah, did you kill... hide it with, with your uh, flying car? <laughs> yeah, and it's like, no, this kid's just told you he's done something beyond amazing, yeah. and you just don't either believe him. Either follow up on it, or you you're know, a yeah, speak to a support worker or something. Like He's either delusional or brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So fast forward. So he's like 18 at this point. Why he's... So if... A child as intelligent as Reed Richards. Why is he still in public school? Why haven't his parents gone? Let's try getting into a better school. You know, kids might have, the kid might have pushed. Look, I'm quite happy to go. The kid might have pushed back and said, "You know what? I want to stay with my friend. You know, we're close. We work together really well. I don't want to uproot. You can't afford maybe to move and all this. And I don't want to board. Fine, I can almost accept that." But at a science fair, <laughs> why is the same fifth grade teacher, as I think one of the uh, videos I watched on YouTube, so that's like his, what, he's like year five, year six teacher? Why is he suddenly critiquing <laughs> his science project? Well, we don't get two actors. Going, we we spent a lot of money on getting Homer Simpson in. We might as well keep him as the, the same yeah, teacher yeah. eight years later. I mean, my understanding is the American school system mm. works a bit similar to what they have over here. You Middle school to, and high school, yeah. Element. Yeah, they have elementary school, then they have middle school, then they have high school. And um, I, neither of us went to uh, middle schools. Um, I think what they what they called over here the junior schools. I think so. They have like so they go from like year three to like year nine yeah. or something. Yeah, I like think it's some called sometimes called um, middle school. So it can, yes, no, actually, um, I'm sure there's a year seven to year nine. Anyway, so it's up till you're about thirteen sort of age, and then high school is fourteen yeah. to sixteen, or in America, I think fourteen to eighteen. You 18. can get a well, it's 18 now, isn't yeah. it, more or less in the... But anyway, that's... By the he he shouldn't, so, shouldn't still have that teacher. Yeah, he shouldn't be there, just because he's in the wrong place. Why he's there, who knows? Only the, like you said, because Dan Castellaneta was hired to do <laughs> yeah. it. And, you know, because... Why? I mean, I don't even know why Dan Castellaneta is even in films. The man is so rich, he, can, he literally records The Simpsons from his house. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah would, all the actors you? who... Did, well, they all, what they did was all the money. They just basically said to the production companies, they went, oh, uh, we're going to build studios onto our mansions <laughs> and we can send in the recordings Might from well. there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Exactly. So, anyway, he's like, it's not real science. He fails, them, even though they've just created something that's going to change. Oh, this isn't science. It's magic. Get out of this science technology. fair, you magic guys. Yeah, it literally says it's magic or something like that. And he doesn't scrutinise it. He's like, well, you're just trying to pull a magic trick. I know you, Richards, the kid who's probably got straight A's in all yeah. sciences because it's like catnip to him. Anyway. So... At this science fair, there just happens to be this scientist who happens also to be Sue Storm and uh, the Human Torch's uh, father and adopted father. Um, and he's like, well, I've been looking for a scientist as brilliant as you, <laughs> And he gets him into his science, into this Does he go to a lot of these fairs? Allows... I mean, does she go to the same school? Yeah. What are the chat? Yeah, so it's like, you know, what are the chances that they're at I'm this looking fair? everywhere. I was at last year's science fair at this school. I was at this year's science fair at this school. I've been looking everywhere for a scientist like you, Reed Richards. Oh, so incredulous. Yeah. That's the mark so of a anyway, bad film, isn't it? A, a decision like that. It's the moment in a film when you go, oh, wow. The yeah, of it. When you go, oh, wow, this is shit. <laughs> I really like that light bulb moment. You go, <laughs> yeah. It just takes like a, it can be 10 minutes in, it can be an hour and 10, and you go, Oh, I know now. I don't have to care about this film anymore. Because it insults me and it doesn't care about me. Right, so we'll get through a quick synopsis of the plot. Real okay. quick. So that's the initial bit. For some reason, Ben Grimm doesn't get into this special school that this, te- this guy's running. Right. right? So what he so effectively the film switches gear, just starts following Reed, integrating into this uh, life in this uh, institute. I can't remember the name because it's not important. <laughs> um and he becomes friend with Sue Storm and Victor Von Doom, who, you know, if anyone who knows anything about uh, the Fantastic Four is their, like, arch-villain. Or oh, the piece. meaning of the word Doom. I at least like the fact that they gave him that name still, because that's a proper comic book name, and it's confident of them to not just give him a Smith kind of name. Ah, well, originally they weren't oh, right. going to give him that name, and they, they ADR'd it in over one of the... Uh, into one of the bits in the film, you go, you go check it out. It's uh, it's jarring. As well. <laughs> <laughs> so, Von Doom's character, he's the usual like he's so maniacal. It's painful. It's like, hey, maybe Victor shouldn't be here. He's quite clever, but he looks like he's going to kill somebody. <laughs> you know, in America, this is entirely a plausible scenario. There's there's a high oh, correlation with those two character traits. Yeah, Kate Morris. So basically. You've got uh, Miles Teller plays uh, Reed Richards, Kate Mara plays Sue Storm, Michael B. Jordan plays, uh, what's the guy's surname, uh, Johnny the Human Torch, and uh, Jamie Bell plays uh, Ben Grimm, uh, the, the Thing. So yeah, Johnny Storm is, yeah, Michael B. Jordan plays Johnny Storm. Um, now, don't get me wrong, that's a solid, solid choice for your film. That is some top really good yeah. if you're looking for like early 20s movie stars Miles Teller you know well Kate Mara was not <laughs> let me tell you now she was not in her 20s <laughs> when she made this film that, that's the other thing as well right so a bit of movie miss I was going to mention this later but a bit of movie miss happening here so I was like looking on IMDB and I was like oh, how old's Kate Mara she's you know she's been around a few years now she must be like what maybe 31 32 no she was 32 when she made this film in 2015 God. so that made her <laughs> 32 so you're so, so even if you de-age her by like 5 years that's you're meant to make us believe that a girl who's 25 is interested in 
at the oldest in 18-year-old <laughs> yeah. boy. And Miles Teller doesn't look now, 18, I have... really. I mean, he looks... I don't know how old he is there, but... No, he looks about 40, <laughs> doesn't he? <laughs> and, and I saw um, Michael B. Jordan in The Wire, and that started about 18 years ago. <laughs> so, yeah. so, to be fair, Miles Teller and Michael B. Jordan are the same age, and Jamie Bell's a year older than him. So Kate Mara's actually older than all wow. of them in this film. Yeah, she was born in 83. Jesus so Christ, she was born in 1983. And this is trying to make her out to born in the mid, mid to late 90s. 22, 23. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Gosh, okay. Oh my fucking days. <laughs> right. So, they inv- so what really annoys me with this is they, Von Doom, uh, Kate Mara and uh, Miles Teller, they invent this uh, trans-dimensional system that other people, that jo- Johnny Storm's dad had been working on, essentially. And uh, Miles Teller comes in and helps them all figure it all out. It's called the Negative Zone. It's like the fourth dimension. They go to this rocky planet where Green Goose blurs out of the, out of the, uh, out of the crust of this planet. You know, because it's a film... <laughs> What is the method by which we get our actors to go onto mm. this planet? Because in this situation, because this is, remember, this is trying to be a serious indie <laughs> film where obviously these are just scientists working on a research project. The higher powers who have funded the thing, we go, right, now we're going to pass this on to NASA because we'll get some, you know, astronauts in. And then cut to these four people basically going, we did all the work. <laughs> or three people going, we did all the work. We're the ones that should go. Let's get Ben in a qualified <laughs> to come with us. So basically, Ben, Von Doom, and uh, Mr. Fantastic all go to this negative zone. Yeah. Oh, and... and um, and Michael B. Jordan. And, <laughs> Just bring him uh, along. Johnny Storm. So the four of them. Straight race, Kate straight Mara's. Racing. Yeah, oh yeah. What can, yeah, yeah. Another thing is, why is he there? They're like, oh, well, he can, he can build anything. He built a car. Lots <laughs> he, of people can lots build of people cars. Can build cars, yeah. Every day. And engineers. Doesn't make him smart enough to go to this institute. So essentially, the only reason he's there is nepotism. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's gone, well, his dad's smart. <laughs> He's probably smart. I know he's not really going to be cooperative because he's, you know, he doesn't want to be there. But, you know, let's take, let's send a reluctant yeah. astronaut along. Yeah, so they go. Von Doom, you know, dies in this adventure, misadventure, uh, supposedly. And then cut to, they all come back. They all look at the body shock. So this film tries to be like a, an indie film body shock horror because in this situation you're like, oh, do you know what? That's what it might really be like. <laughs> <sighs> is that a therapeutic and sip? then yeah and then it does this thing that really annoys me now there is that argument of you know don't you know what is it don't uh don't say oh, yeah. tell or whatever i know don't yeah, show, show don't, don't, don't tell don't don't show tell don't whatever you tell. do don't tell so one thing that's exciting about the fantastic four is that they have these cool abilities well show us them using yeah. them but don't then say oh well here's what's happened Cut to a year later. <laughs> what? So them learning nothing's happened. Cool abilities, yeah, these things that they when have. they first got because I suppose the, the <sighs> big maybe the big problem with the two thousand and four three version was that they spent so much time when they got back hiding away because they didn't want to show their powers and it took Johnny to go out and like make an ass of himself for them to become public and maybe that was a bit boring so they went well we'll just cut to them being public. Is that what yeah. you might say in defence or is that bullshit? No, I've no idea why they decided to cut to black and have it a time jump. There's no logical explanation. This film would be far more interesting if they just carried on from where they were because they'd be learning to use their powers and it would explain why Von Doom 
suddenly came back. He would. What was he doing for a fucking year <laughs> in the negative zone? How did he survive? <laughs> it doesn't explain. Oh, so he didn't need sustenance or anything like that. I mean, even though he's using yeah. all this energy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this is no joke. This, the film spends about 80 minutes getting to the denouement of the film, which is uh, Von Doom comes back. Don't know why he's come back, but he just decides to come back. He's some plot about using the Earth's energy to make his planet better or something, because he can do how, that How now. does he get make, back? He's, you know, he just is. He's just back. Fireworks. Yeah. Just a, yeah. Just yeah. a slingshot manoeuvre, gravity yeah. orbitals. Fractals. He, he comes through the machine somehow. <laughs> so the film spends 80 minutes of its 100 minutes runtime getting the four together without all the fun of seeing them develop their powers and critically developing the relationship. You know, this this franchise is famous. It is famous as known, famously known as the first family of the Marvel you know, comic book universe. A lot of its people derive its pleasure or they derive its pleasure because they act like a family unit. So, I mean, what do you do with a, a cute little indie big blockbuster film? Well, you make it about the relationship maybe between Sue Storm and uh, Mr. Fantastic because, you know, it's a love story. You know, every good indie's got a good love story in it somewhere, yeah. isn't it? So, but no, not real any focus on that. You know, or you've got two mates, you know, joshing around, maybe not mates to start off with, but mates by the end of it because of the experience they've shared. You know, something like, oh, I don't know, Johnny Storm and The Thing would do. No manufactured uh, rivalry or or disdain by Johnny Storm for the thing. That makes no sense whatsoever, (laughs) other than they had to have it in there because it's kind of something that happens in the films anyway. But it's not natural. There's not like, oh, me and you, oh, we don't see eye to eye, but let's have a bit of fun. It just looks like one man bullying another, (laughs) essentially, because he's not as smart as he is, who isn't the smartest person in the room, which is clearly clearly Mr. Fantastic and Sue Storm. Yeah. Oh, God. Right. So, long story short, Von Doom comes back. Brain power. He can crush people's brains with his telekinetic powers. And then he chooses not to use them when he's back into the negative zone after killing... So he kills a bunch of people on this facility. The four of them go into the negative zone to try and stop him from destroying the Earth. He conveniently decides not to use this, you know, power of... Squashing people's <laughs> brains because it would have been it's the film's over. Film would have been yeah. oh, plot convenience, are. plot armor. Oh. oh god. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, not my worst hope. <laughs> plot armor. So yeah, but so that's the film. Essentially, they stop him by working together, and he just gets punched into this big energy beam. <laughs> film over. That's it. That's all that oh, happens. Dear. It's so badly paced. It's so turned death to what it is. Ugh, it just fucks me right off. So. I don't understand with a film like that. Obviously, unless you, they're trying to build sequels, and we'll get to this in our next film as well. And the problem with trying to build a sequel at the expense of the your own film, the the only reason you would spend eighty minutes getting to people, getting the superheroes to get their powers, is because you go, well, we're going to have three or four of these films, so we need to set the first film, basically them getting the powers, don't we? But yeah. It's so unsatisfying, isn't but it? You can do that for like if you have an hour and a half film, spend forty five minutes of them getting their powers and the reason why it hasn't, well, not the reason why it hasn't come together for them or whatever. But you could easily have, like you said, in this, like it's got Ben and uh, Reed as friends. That's believable. I can actually quite buy that, quite frankly. Um, 
you have them as mates, but have them both accepted into this institute. Make them form that natural bond <laughs> that they should have with Sue Storm and with uh, Johnny um, Johnny Thingy Bobby, <laughs> the Human Torch, Johnny Storm. You know, see, I, this is how much it's annoying me. I can't even remember the character's name. It's just destroying the brain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is and as well. This is rebooting a thing that was only the first of which was only 10 or 11 years before it. So people genuinely generally know it, the origins. The last film had come out 8 years Exactly, before. yeah, then you got the silver surface. Generally people generally know where they got their powers from. So you can do that in 20 minutes. Or, or easily make it more entertaining <laughs> in the first like 80 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, and it, there's no reason why an origin story has to be boring. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a lots of examples where origins. If it's films trying to be dark and gritty, well, be dark and gritty and have a dark and gritty origin story. But don't do that with a Fantastic Four if you can't pay it yeah. off right, because people are going to be disappointed. Whatever you do, if it's so, my biggest gripe with this film, all in all, right? I asked you so before the episode. I asked Sam to watch the trailer for this um, film. There was a trailer released, I think maybe six, seven months before it came out. And in this trailer, there's a there's a voiceover that makes um, Reed Richards like some sort of genius hero. He doesn't really come across as a genius in this film. You just everyone just tells him he oh, is. Oh, really? And again, <laughs> show don't tell. Like he should be figuring things yeah. out in every other scene. Yeah, and he's he's not an idiot. Don't get me wrong. That's one good. You know, that's one redeeming feature. He's not an idiot, but he's not extraordinarily intelligent. Mm. You know, you're not like, wow, this guy's really impressive. This, is, this guy's well, so impressive. Yeah. We're going to send him to space when he's 18 for this mission that's presumably costing us millions or billions of dollars. <laughs> yeah. Well, they 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 technically go um, when they're drunk as well. <laughs> um, and like, you know, like no one's protecting this after hours. Oh, we trust the scientists not to jump in the machine and uh, conduct this uh, experiment themselves of going into the negative zone. Yeah, joy, joyriding trust across. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the trailer made this film look really exciting. There's actually scenes in the trailer that weren't in the film. There's a bit where the thing jumps out of a like he jumps out of a plane, and there's um, it shows him uh, what's it called like well he's skydiving essentially without a, um, a parachute on, and they do it from the top above his head view. So you see him drop out and go down. That looked so amazing. You're like, what precipitates him being dropped into a location yeah. like this? That's exciting. There's a scene. There's a, uh, there's another scene in the trailer that shows him ripping um, the top half of a tank off and throwing it across the across the road into another truck that you know blows up again what is he doing that's so exciting you're expecting these things to appear in the film and this was kind of before really you got trailers that had scenes missing in the final cut of film it's become a bit more prevalent now but in 2015 it still wasn't really something that was happening so when i'm sat watching the film i'm like well where's the bit where he drops out of the plane yeah where's the bit where he rips the tank top off well, not a tank top but the you know the barrel and the top half of a tank off wait Oh, oh! They've 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 ruined this film. <laughs> they didn't know what they've they were doing. They've sold me a film here. So, here's here's another thing that happened with this film. So, Josh Trank decided on the eve of the film's release to criticise it on Twitter by saying, "A year ago, I had a fantastic version. No pun intended <laughs> of this." I had a fantastic version of this, and it would have received great reviews. You'll probably never see it. That's reality, wow. though. 
And that's one of those you go, um, wow, is that, that's either somebody who's been genuinely frustrated by a studio, or that sounds like something Donald Trump would write. It's hard to know. It, <laughs> Josh Trank hasn't worked in Hollywood since. Right. And this was four years right. ago, right? Five years ago, nearly. Four and a half years ago now. Um, he tracked his own career by doing saying something stupid. <laughs> you look at... Here's a great example, right? Have you seen the film Moon? Yeah. So, Duncan Jones' film Moon. So, off the back of a few good films, he got given the World of Warcraft yeah. film. Now, that film, I've seen it. It's not great. But what Duncan, jo- uh, Duncan Jones did was he went out and defended the film to the right. hilt. He was like, no, this might not be for you, but there are fans out there who are saying this is the Warcraft film they wanted to see. Now, he might have been lying through his back teeth. <laughs> he might have... But he defended what he made with the yeah. studio. The studio might have interhered, interfered for weeks on end, months on end, but he produced something that he had to then go out and sell. And just sell it. Just go out and sell it, and you go. Well, that was a dud. I'll see what my next yeah. project's yeah, like. Yeah, it's, it's it's worse to actually get a much lower box office rating for your next possible project, isn't it? Even if you are sort of sending the blame <coughs> away, like Joss Whedon with the I tried on Justice League, uh, that sort of thing. You yeah. know, you might think this is bad, but it's not my fault. That kind of you know distancing. Yeah. So apparently he was locked out of the editing room and. Um, Producer, you might have heard of him, Simon Kimberg oh, came yeah, in yeah. to do resh- reshoots. Now, Simon Kimberg has a has a, a I don't know. It's hard to explain. He's he's a producer. I think he's, an, he's an example he's of pro- an X Men. Yeah, I think it's worth to say he's a producer. That kind of they there's something with producing that they don't know if they're going to make a hit, so they just make they make a mm. thing and they hope for the best. So he's got good films like Logan, Deadpool 1 and 2, The Martian, X-Men First Class, X-Men Days of Future Past, but he also has some shite in his locker. He's got <laughs> Jumper, he's got Elysium, he's got Let's Be Cops. I mean, oh yeah, that's that. the one where, where they try to fool the audience into thinking that being a cop makes you everybody's friend and gets you all these discounts and women immediately fall open to you and open their bras and all that sort of stuff. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, uh, murder, murder on the Orient Express. I heard that got bad oh, yeah. reviews. I'm not seeing it. Uh, X Men, uh, Dark Phoenix, and X Men Apocalypse. The worst two. I mean, oh no, X Men Wolverine Origins or whatever it's called. The oh, worst. I, That's d- the I worst don't really consider the Wolverine. Then it's, <laughs> true. Yeah. yeah, and I was looking to see if he worked on that, but he, you know, for his sake, <laughs> he didn't. He worked on Jumper, which I didn't think was a bad film at the time, but yeah. Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that says it all, doesn't it? The title alone goes tells you not to watch that. I really film. like him in interviews. Quite a few episodes of uh, the Q and A with Jeff Goldsmiths, not Jeff Goldsmith. Yeah, Jeff Goldsmith um, podcast. He interviews filmmakers, and he's always, he's always good in interview. But you're right, his his end product isn't always the best. Yeah, um, and so f- from this logic, you would derive that. Yes, Josh Trank was a problem on set. Apparently, he fought really hard to get Miles Teller uh, into the project, and then once he was on set, they were constantly arguing. Miles Teller also comes across as quite a knob, <laughs> quite frankly. <clears throat> and that's not just... That's kind of his reputation now is a bit combative, a bit... You know, he doesn't seem to have earned this reputation. He has. He's made one good film, and... You know that was he was the star of it, but let's face it, J.K. Simmons was who won the fucking Oscar there, Miles, not you, pal. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, I don't know. I think it's interesting that Damien Chazelle hasn't worked with him since, and he's worked with Ryan Gosling twice. So I think that says a lot about him, quite yeah. frankly. Um, would you like to hear more fun and frolics from Josh Trank whilst he was working yeah, on this film? Yeah, it. So have you heard... Tell me if you've genuinely heard about this, because I find this hilarious. So, Josh Trank's dogs... They were renting out uh, an apartment himself when he was working on this film. He brought his dogs along. Uh, the dogs trashed the apartment whilst he wasn't there because anyone who's had yeah, dogs... They'll do that to you. If they, you leave them yeah, you leave them for more than a few hours, they will start chewing things. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a f- that is a genuine nightmare I have experienced. But what you don't do when your dogs wreck a place and the owner is visibly, audibly and emotionally upset about the damage you've done is then proceed to wreck the place further and cost a rumoured 100,000 pounds, well, dollars worth of damage. (laughs) That's what Josh fucking Trank did to this place. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know how... Yeah. Like, uh, what... So, has he he gone... I'm clearly angry with the studio. My dogs have done some damage. They're messing me around. Well, fuck them. I'll make them pay for (laughs) more. Which they are then liable to do. Yeah. So because of this incident, Josh Trank in 2014 or 13 was actually hired to make a Star Wars uh, sequel. He was either going to do The Last Jedi or he was going to do his own standalone film like Solo or uh, Rogue One. He was genuinely um, down to do that. So Kathleen Kennedy, who's the head of Lucasfilm, who was the producer on the original Star Wars films and some films like Indiana Jones and all sorts of films. She's worked on loads. You know, somebody we could do an entire episode again ourselves on. She heard about this, heard about his behaviour on set and how he was a really bad at uh, controlling a big budget film and went, nah, cutting ties with this guy. He was supposed to turn up to Star Wars Celebration and at the time they went, oh yeah, he's not well. And then about two weeks later it was just like, yeah, he's just not coming. And you know, I mean, the the, the Double Davids from Game of Thrones, Benioff and Weiss, they they sort of tanked their chances of uh, writing a Star Wars film as well by doing such a rush job on uh, Game of Thrones Season 8. Yeah, I mean, there. in that respect, they're not—they're not—they're um, not doing it now, are they? They spread them. Are they doing spin-off? Which, which one did they get fired? Which one? Well, we don't know if they got fired, but it's safe to say they probably <laughs> yeah. did. Given the, but that's you know, you know, in in uh, Trank's defence, he he isn't the first. He was the first director to get fired by Kathleen Kennedy, but he wasn't yeah, the last, and he won't be the last. So. <laughs> Yeah, and it won't be the last. Um, so, would you like uh, to know some of the critical reception? Oh, I'd love to. I'd to love to. I can't imagine there's many beyond 60%. So, we'll give you some overall information first here. We've got Metacritic gave it 27. Oh, that is brutal, isn't it? That is correct. <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes, so on its uh, tomato meter, gave it 9%. Oh. It, the audience was a little kinder. It gave it 18. Oh, bless them. And then on IMDb, fools. which is usually a good, a good overall ballpark idea of how good a film is. Uh, this I don't think I've seen a film rated lower than this. I probably have, <laughs> but for a big budget film, four point three stars Jesus. on uh, on IMDb for a film that cost. Let's have a look here. I've got this written down. So its budget was one hundred and twenty million. Its worldwide gross was $167.8 million. They've actually not done too badly. Obviously, they've, they've overall probably lost money there, but 
That's not that bad considering. Oh, definitely lost money. But considering a nine percent <laughs> rating, that's not as tanked as you'd have yeah. thought. Yeah, it's not done cat's level of terrible, no, has it? that really has. But I think that's because it had a f- franchise name oh, it's, that it's a, it's they a thought was going to do well. Product, essentially, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, let's give you some actual critics what they thought of it. So, Henry Barnes in The Guardian said, Fantastic Four, a dawdling indie drama dressed up in superhero garb. The latest Marvel comic book adventure is is staring for indie credibility whilst um, moving at a glacial pace, <laughs> wasting wasting some fine actors in the process. I mean, there yeah. you go, two stars he gave it. I mean, the fact that he gave it more than one star is yeah. a miracle. Um, Peter Travers uh, in Rolling Stone went, went and said, how bad is the reboot of Marvel's uh, first superheroes? Worse than you can imagine. <laughs> no shit, Peter. <laughs> you've hit nail and you've hit head. Um, <laughs> here's a bit of a longer review here from A.A. Dowd on AV Film Club uh, internet review website. This Fantastic Four, as misshapen as the Thing himself, takes a full hour to even grant its superheroes their powers. It's shockingly humorless and glacially slow for a film <laughs> featuring a bendy boy genius, <laughs> an invisible woman, a human torch, and a talking pile of <laughs> Wow, two references to glaciers in three reviews. That is tells you something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Um, so for me, the worst scene is the fight scene at the end because a lot of these scenes, they try to innovate in a final battle scene. They'll try and figure out something new. In this, all that happens is they each have a go at Von Doom. They fail because he's powerful <laughs> AF. <laughs> um, and what happens is if Von Doom forgets that he can squish people's brains inside <laughs> their head, which... To me, he goes, <coughs> reshoots. Yeah. Um, you know, this film did have reshoots. So they clearly filmed this scene after, the, bef- after, before, or sorry, before the, where they they gave him the scene the that force, was before yeah. this, where he escapes and has that power. Yeah. Um, and all that happens is the thing gets put, gets made invisible by Sue Storm. He then gets made visible and goes, it's quite a long time, from about 20 feet, giving him plenty of time to react to a man who's shown he can swim with a force field. And um, punches him into the big beam, and he gets disintegrated. After oh, he he hangs about in the beam for a second, and because Johnny Storm can fly through some rocks at the side of it that are like skyscraper high, that somehow get pushed into the beam and push him up into the bit of the beam that disintegrates things. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, good lord, it's oh, just bad. Samuel. Please, please don't watch it. Worse, yeah, worse line. Uh, is the last lines of the film where they're trying to come up with a name and Ben Grimm goes, well, it's all fantastic. And Reed Richard, who's clearly heard him at this point, goes, it's fantastic. Guys, I got it. Cut to black. Let's not uh, oh, Let's not actually say the name of the film out loud because that's too cliche for a yeah. film packed with shit let's cliches. Leave, let's end the film with that. <laughs> yeah. Christ. So I, so I give it zero out of four. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty brutal. I, th- I think. Do you feel better now? No, because I still seen the film and I was still <laughs> excited to see it. You saw the trailer. What did you think of it? The trailer looked exciting, but I'd already seen the cinema sins by then. Ah, oh, right. So you were aware of it. It's, it's, gla- it's glacial pace. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I remember watching it and thinking, "Oh, oh, this is the." Wait, this is the end <laughs> bit. What? What? Because <laughs> you a bit like the film we're about to discuss. Usually with these films, you actually have like 
you got you know as they say you, the way they're paced is they cut the team comes together they get the powers they're figuring out their powers they have a little setback because they're not quite to grips with their powers yet but they rally together and they have a big battle scene and they beat the bad guy and then they're like yeah we're now a team and we're going to go off and save the world and become but with this it's like no we're just going to watch them <laughs> bit of exposition bit more exposition so it's not quite near flying off at the end of the matrix with Rage Against the Machine in the background Sorry, I'm just doing the pacing here. Bit more exposition. <laughs> oh, now they've got the powers together. Let's go. Oh, Von Doom's here. Always oh, killed everyone. Always oh, the villains introduced in like properly introduced as you want to see him in the last ten minutes. Fucking of the hell! Kills a few people and then decides he's going back. <laughs> Why he comes in the first place? Still, yeah. Anyway, let's. I think this is a good time to I have think a, it's break. a very good time to have a break. We'll. Uh, be back with you in a moment, Absolutely. audience. Uh, and we're going to do f- Sam's favourite film of the decade, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. Yeah. Because justice is only done at dawn. <laughs> no, this is the dawn of the justice. It's a, it's a 24-hour justice, but it starts at dawn. Oh, right. Yeah. Sorry. I, I <laughs> that's, how we, that's why you didn't enjoy it. <sighs> yeah, it makes sense yeah, now. Look forward to that. See you after the break. Hello and welcome back to Please Watch This. So, we're now going to move on to 2016 release, Batman vs. Superman, oh, yes. Dawn of Justice. This beauty. Which uh, Sam's Sam's going to tell us why he, like I said before, why he likes this film so damn much. <laughs> oh, I, you know, I honestly don't know if what I was expecting from this film when I went to see it. And I went to see it at... Quality. Quality. I went to see it at a packed cinema. Coherence. I hadn't <laughs> seen Superman uh, thingy. Man of Steel, no nope. one good film. Uh, so I, so I'm told, and you know, and oh, Zack Snyder. I don't think I don't know if I've seen a Zack Snyder film that I like now. Um, there must be one. Three hundred was f- I mean, fun. A I bit. liked three hundred. Yeah, it was fun for a bit. I liked three hundred. I like. I still like. I know you'd, you've you've changed your tune on Watchmen, but I think that's. There was a good film in there's there. Good. There's a good film in there. There's some really good yeah. frames, and um, he's 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 so much more surface than um, it's substance, really. You know, yeah. That's what I've really found. So, quick synopsis of Batman vs Superman: Dawn. You can hear that I'm sort of depressed. <laughs> um, of uh, Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice <laughs> is that Batman has started to brand criminals, and uh, that makes the criminals the target. So Batman's gone off the rails. He's a bit darker. Superman gets framed for killing a bunch of people, um, and he's sort of on trial and things. And also, yeah, you did state. Sorry, this, this is a direct sequel to Man of Steel. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So yeah, another another point is that in Man of Steel, he has a fight with Zod, and that's destroying loads of buildings. And one of those buildings was the Gotham Building, not the Gotham Building, the um, Wayne Wayne Enterprises. And yeah, in, in Metropolis. Wasn't in it? Metropolis, and the opening, like the opening of this film, is. Uh, Bruce Wayne trying to get to that building to try and save people. Yeah. And him basically coming in like a almost 9-11-esque scene where the building's fall, fallen down and been destroyed and there's just like utter devastation. And, you know, it's meant to be the moment that Batman goes, oh, so Batman, Superman's a threat because look, look how many people have died in this awful invasion of Earth that hadn't had only nominally something to do with him. Yeah. And so therefore... In Batman's eyes, Superman is now a threat. Isn't alien? Is a threat. 
in Superman's eyes, Batman's a bit of a menace, but he's you know not that bad because Superman's a god, so he's you know he's not that perturbed by him. But then Lex Luthor basically wants to kill Superman, and one of the things he's got in mind is he wants Superman to go kill Batman. Um, so he says, uh, "I'm going to kill your mum if you don't kill Batman for me." Thus setting up the big fight of Batman versus Superman. There's about an hour. There's about three hours that I've not mentioned there, but that's basically it. Um, <laughs> and then. <sighs> then they team up and they beat this a big monster alien called Doomsday that Luther creates based on some bullshit. Um, <laughs> there's also a 15-minute scene in there that's trying to set up all the other films. So rather than like the MCU spending money and time actually building up characters you're interested in for the big team-up movie, they've gone for the, let's let's trail the team-up movie and then we'll have the team-up movie next because we know that this isn't going to be very good, so we might as well make hay while the sun shines. <sighs> so this film, why I just... I just like it. The potential is there because it's Batman and it's Superman and there's Wonder Woman, spoiler alert, again, lots of spoilers for this film, but I'm not. I'm honestly not spoiling it for you because that would suggest there's something to spoil. Uh, I'm not ruining it in any way. I'm not making it worse. Um, the first problem with this film is the, uh, is the starting point. I know it's a comic sort of... It's a famous comic story, storylines, Batman versus Superman, um, but it's never going to work. It's never going to work. Superman... Actually, for all I really like Superman in many ways, is a terrible character to write. He's a terrible character because he's a Boy Scout who's a, who's a god. And we know that any protagonist needs flaws. They need a, they've got a want and a need. And Superman wants for nothing and needs for nothing except maybe a, a love interest and, I don't know, to get a, be a really successful journalist or something. And so the, the problem always with Superman is how do you write an interesting story? And then they invented Kryptonite as a really easy, cheap sort of way of doing that. And that has to play a role here. And just fundamentally, how do you get these two people to to battle and I mean I don't know what what do you think about their, the way they did that the motivations they give these characters for me there's two right there's two bits in the film that are a bit silly is A Batman's motivation to kill Superman or to perceive like I can see how Superman would perceive him as a threat like I get I get that logic but I don't get why Batman would see a man who defeated Zod <laughs> who saved the earth would then be like, oh yeah, no, but he's still a, he's still a threat. And yeah, yeah, it's 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 this collateral damage thing that was huge in that year because civil war was you know shortly after. Um, but you know they're saving the planet, so they're they're slack with it, and there's death that could have been avoided. But yeah, you're right, they're saving yeah, exactly. the planet. And if you know Superman didn't intentionally cause all the destruction, it wasn't his fault. I mean, yes, the reason that Zod and all that came down was because of Superman, but it's, you know, it was their choice to be hostile, not Superman, so Superman saved the day, essentially, and Batman would recognise that. The man's meant to be a genius, he's meant to be intelligent, he's not meant to, you might say, well, he's being clever by perceiving Batman as Superman as a threat, but He's not a threat. He says <laughs> distinctly. Now, Batman might not know this, but he distinctly says in uh, Man of Steel, oh, I was raised on Earth. You know, I've got American values, essentially, is what he's saying. And I've got, you know, um, you know I was raised in Kansas. Yeah, so, it's it's hard not to draw um, comparisons or parallels, really, between Marvel and DC. And obviously the, the kind of uh, Marvel equivalent of, of Batman is in... in 
yeah, the Marvel equivalent of Batman is, is Iron Man because he's he's just a human who's super rich and super smart. And then of course the sort of Marvel version of Superman is probably Captain America because he's this he's very all American hero and so on. But Captain America's more interesting because he's more flawed or he's he's more vulnerable really. And Superman's just just invulnerable. And so you need to find a way that this fight isn't just a god wiping out a human immediately. And I don't think they get it right, you know. Well, it just doesn't make sense why Batman starts fighting where he's like, he's going, well, I could end this at any time. And it's like, well, go take him out of his bat suit, break his leg, tie him up and be like, oh, just even tie him up. Yeah. Just go grab a bit of strong rope. Because the <laughs> fight goes know. on for a couple of minutes of bashing through buildings before Batman actually shoots some kryptonite at Superman, which is stupid. And then it, was just, just, it just becomes a punching fight. And that's the worst thing about the DC fight scenes is just who can punch more than the other one? It's, there's no creativity at all in any of these fight sequences. What I don't get is why Batman doesn't listen to him until it's, like you said, Martha! <laughs> but then he does say, um, you don't understand. No, you need to listen to me. Just listen to me. And he doesn't actually say what he needs to tell him. You know, he could blurt yeah. it out in a sentence. Um, and he doesn't... <sighs> yeah, he yeah. could be like, oh, my mum's been captured by Lex Luthor and she, he's going to kill her if I don't yeah. kill you. Help me. Yeah, because I'll, I'll just start fighting him for just no reason. And it's it's really silly and it's spectacular. It just comes across... Substance. It just comes across as lazy writing, though, doesn't it? It really does. It's very... It's, yeah. Poor plot planning. It's all it's over like, the place. Me and you, all over the place. right now, could write a better reason Batman and Superman could fight. Yeah. Or even, do you know what? You could even take that device of Batman's mum and Superman's mum having sharing the same name, <laughs> having it that Superman's mum's in mortal danger and Lex Luthor has managed to manipulate them. Yeah. You could do that. The tricky bit there is to how do you stop Superman from telling Batman what's happening and Batman believing it? Yeah. And all yeah. you have to do is make it so that... Lex Luthor has made it so it's so incredibly, un, um, like Superman doesn't have any credibility in Bruce Wayne's mind. That's the manipulation you need to do. Mm-hmm. You need to play them off each other to the point where Batman won't listen, even if he's told the truth, rather than a dodgy sound thing that tries to stop him. And then Batman, Superman just essentially gets a bit angry. You know, like you said, he's a God. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, this is your rant, not mine. It's easy for me to rant as well. well this, you know, it, the, the, we've got to talk about the Martha thing. Uh, the, a lot of apologists Martha. and a lot of, I've, I've watched video essays and people explaining why that's not silly. Um, because, we see, for some goddamn reason, we see another version of Bruce Wayne's parents being killed, okay? And then his dad's last last words are Martha. And then the point is, really, that Batman realises Superman's not an alien, not a god, not just an alien. He's very human, and he sees that humanity in, in him. And I wonder what went wrong so that that's not clear and it's not ridiculous. There's a few things that go wrong. Firstly, he says, save Martha, which is a stupid thing to say because it's his mum, so he could either say, save my mum, or he could give her a full name. There's no information in save Martha. That's a ridiculous thing to say that's obviously only there for that reason. Um, another thing is that Batman... I don't, it's the delivery of it. I don't know if it's acting, I don't know if it's directing, I don't know what it is. It's a ridiculous line, and every time I watch it, I, I laugh. And I think it was the moment in the, in the cinema where I went, oh, right, I'm supposed to laugh. It's a bad film. <laughs> There's always a moment in bad films where you go, "Oh, I can just I can drop all the tension that's in my shoulders where I've been trying to follow this 
stupid pointless stupid story and and it is a stupid story it's it's really stupid because it, all the little things are stupid and and a lot of the things that need explaining aren't explained like how Lex Luthor knows who Batman is how he knows how to create Doomsday or that Doomsday would be created or that it needs fingerprints to do that or that he needs to go onto the ship or where the ship is or how he gets on or you know how to use the computer that he needs Zod's DNA and his DNA blood and that it would create like nothing of that is explained at all and if you're going to have a super genius uh, plan you need a clever writer to write a clever plan you can't just say, "Oh, he's a super genius," so that's how we know these these things. You can't. We can't just assume that he he, under, he knows everything because it's really misunderstanding genius, which film does all the time. Genius is being able to extrapolate from information, and he's got no information from which to extrapolate. <laughs> you know, it's you, you don't just know things genetically because you're a genius. Yeah, you you still have you still have the same senses that the rest of us have. Yeah, you still hear, read, write. You know, understand, comprehend, and you're just better you're just at making to... links. But you can't make links from nothing to nothing, or nothing to a little bit of something. <laughs> and we have to talk about that performance as well. It's hard to know if that's Jesse Eisenberg's decision or if he's been told to just sort of turn Mark Zuckerberg up to eleven and be the most irritating villain we've ever seen. You know, it's like it feels like ten years old. This performance, it feels like it's something that hasn't seen films <laughs> and hasn't seen this done before. <laughs> you know, it's just an irritant. He's not, he's not, because he's not threatening or intimidating or interesting. He's just... Personally, yeah. I thought it was a good idea what they did with him because it would have been, at that point, I think it would have been cliche to have him be the bald-headed, you know, like, in I don't know what they usually present him as, this like, I don't know, callous businessman who's, mm. you know lied, steal and cheated his way to be the head of like um, LexCorp where with this he's just like oh he inherited a load of money from his dad and carried on the company that makes a lot of sense and, and his motivation what is his motivation he's got daddy issues and he wants to that's, kill that's, that's, that's it. it that's it and that's even that's not only clear issue. enough like I had to look into that to make that clearer do you know what I mean and it's one of those films that made me think oh wow maybe I'm just not very clever and then I think again and go no the film is not clever enough it's well, not as clever as too. it wants to be, you know. It might be both. Um, and Definitely the former, at least. <laughs> we can take that for granted. And this this also applies to the film we're going to talk about next as well. But, yeah, this film... Well, they're directly linked, aren't they, let's face it. They really are, you know, sort of genetically and, and all that sort of stuff. So Lex Luthor is stupid movie smart. He just knows things, do you know what I mean? And uh, Yeah, and it's, that is. Yeah. He's way over. He's too over the top. He's too quirky. I can sort of see what well, he's trying like to he do. Well, it's like he knows that he can just... build Doomsday. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. It's like he knows. It's like, well, if uh, Batman, because it's like inferring that a Superman's going to fail to kill Batman. Well, what you know? What if he does? Yeah. What if it, this is Superman if, for fuck's sake? It, yeah, he succeeds in a matter of minutes. Finds Batman, tears his head off, brings in the head of the bat as he's asked for, and he'd be like, "Right, give me Martha. What are you going to do there?" <laughs> so his plan was to create something that he only knew was possible to create once he had got inside the um, the uh, alien ship. Once he'd got inside the Kryptonian ship and put his hand on that, which he's never been in before, thing. we presume. Yeah, and he goes, "Oh." Um, tell me everything and it's like so what in like 15 minutes yeah. you've been told everything about how to genetically create a superman-esque demon based on Zod, zod's body <laughs> it just doesn't 
oh Sam yeah <laughs> and he only does that after the first part of the plan has started you know it's like I just hope that there's something going to be something good here and this do you like the idea that he tries to destroy Superman's credibility by having the bomb go off in DC when he's giving testimony I quite like I do like that aspect of that this film where it's like oh actually in the real world yeah Superman might be held accountable for his actions because he is essentially a god and because he believes in law justice and like you said uh, the American way that he would turn up to a Senate hearing about his conduct and be like I will justify myself because surely you would play surely now really thinking about this you would play that off as a positive like the character goes and shows the world who he is and he gives a rousing speech and then the bomb goes off you know that kind of a way yeah and surely there's and a live like... stream of that going out of the room and it's very clear that he's not it's the same with it's the same with the people that try to frame him for at the start they shoot them with bullets and then in the ultimate edition we see that actually they burn the bodies as well but then they try to they're trying to pin it on superman and you're like well he doesn't shoot people with bullets you, you know, <laughs> yeah. like it, it's, what are, what are it's, those there's a kernel of an idea. What are those little there? bits of metal on top of the ash? Oh, that's the bullets <laughs> that, that Superman shot them with. Yeah, because he, he's, you know, Come on, then. man of steel faster than bullet. You know, you put two and two together. Give, or me some, give me a worse scene in this film. The worst scene is the emails. I mean, <laughs> I've never, I've never wanted to watch an email that theme film. And just yeah, it, it it saved them three years of making a bunch of films. That I love the fact that there was a graphic designer that had to make those icons yeah. for Lex Luthor. What do you need these for, boss? You're asking too many questions. <laughs> have a this is a, have a jolly rancher. This is a sign of a bad film. Is one that 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 um, values the spectacle over the reality and, and completely takes you out of it. And there's a great nerd writer video about how Zack Snyder and this film prefer uh, a sort of a, you know, a screenshot to actual meaning and, <laughs> and substance. Um, look, like little things as well. Like when, when they're doing a little montage of Superman being a God type character, there's a flood and the family do a Superman logo on their roof in paint and he arrives and saves them. But the Superman logo is exactly like the actual logo. It's not like they've just drawn a big S. It's like the graphic designers who've had four hours to do it properly. <laughs> the flood is just about to kill them and you just go, that is somebody who's insulting me because they're... Because how am I supposed... To, I don't know, is it our fault? Are we, am I too cynical right with this? But doesn't that immediately take you out of the film? If it's so glaringly obvious that it's stupid, um, it takes you out of the film. Um, yeah. Yeah, I never... I, do you know what? I never even thought about that bit where they write the big S on the, <laughs> on the it's roof. it's perfect Superman how logo. well it's done, yeah. And I don't know where they've got the paint for. I suppose when, it, but... Yeah, I'll tell you what you don't see is the paint uh, brush and bucket on the roof. Yeah. I noticed that. Oh, there's certainly the no, like... Inspection. There's no, like... It's just a perfect S, and you just take him completely out of the moment because it doesn't make any sense. And it's true all the way through this film. The email adverts as well, they're just they're so often. It's just that montage at the beginning, it doesn't even make you like sympathise for Superman. No. Neither does it. It just it, It's a moody boy going around being a hero, <laughs> saving some people off a, <laughs> off a rooftop here, saving some astronauts that have... You know, there and being praised as a god around the world on Cinco de Mayo, you know. Or, <laughs> what, no, sorry, not Cinco de Mayo, the Day of the Dead. Yeah, um, Deo Dos Muertos. Yeah. yeah um, 
or the bit where he's pulling the um, the ship through the ice, and it's like there's a montage of Superman doing cool stuff. Things I'd rather watch than this film, basically. <laughs> a montage yeah. of things I'd rather be watching than this fucking film. The other scene that was up there for top worst films was the the Doomsday fight scene because. Because they've gone, well, this whole film is predicated on the fact that he destroyed a city, so let's just drop in a couple of points where they go, where are they? Oh, they're at the docks. Oh, you know, that's evacuated. Nobody's there. You know, like, go, oh, oh, the uninhab- oh they've landed on the uninhabited yeah. island. Oh, it's fine, then I can feel good about this. And then it's just bang, bang, bang. There's no creativity at all. Nobody's using their powers in any kind of creative sense. It's just bang, bang, bang. And the- and Doomsday is just... Batman's just there as well. <laughs> it's just there. Uh... Like, at that point, in your Batman, what do you do? You... You're now in the situation where you, the gods are fighting. Yeah, you <laughs> you're just, a man just have a good struggle in a leather suit. It, it does have yeah. the one good line of the film, which is when he says, "I thought she was with you." When Superman says, "Who's this?" When he's talking about Wonder Woman, and Batman says, "I thought she was with you." That was the one good line, one bit of levity. But, <sighs> but that doesn't even make sense because Batman knows that it's Wonder Woman. He's like, oh, when he goes, why would he ask that question? <laughs> Superman would be like, "Who's this?" Oh, she's with me. Yeah. That again, it looks like they wrote the scene before they made. <laughs> <laughs> and then stuck with or it, or like, or they, they, they edited the film. It doesn't even. Ma- I remember, yeah. It, oh yeah, it doesn't make sense. It is a good line, but it doesn't make a fucking yeah. jot of sense. It's a good line on the first on first uh, viewing. That is the worst line of the film. Actually. <laughs> so, what was your worst line then? If that was mine, it's a one word line. <laughs> oh, I wonder yeah. if you can guess what it was. <laughs> oh no, sorry, sorry, it's two two lines, uh, two words. Save Martha. Oh, I thought it was Lois Lane. <laughs> yeah, there's that. What, just, you, haven't, yeah. you haven't even gotten into, like we haven't even got to the fact that there's a whole plot arc in this film about Lois Lane going off and being an investigative journalist because <laughs> that was necessary in this film. You know, it's it, such a long film, and the ultimate edition oh God, adds yeah, to so that. Necessary. It's mental. When I was thinking about this film before it came out and I heard about the runtime and I heard it was like 220 minutes or whatever it is I was like oh so the usual kind of way these films work out is they doesn't they're not mates at the start they have a bit of a fight they come together they fight the bad guy and I thought you'd have a bit of a fight in the middle and maybe even have another bit of a fight where they realize that they're not enemies and that you get two goods at least two good solid fights out of Batman and Superman but with this, they packed all the action into the end of the film, had the Batman versus Superman fight, and then immediately straight after it, they had the Doomsday fight. Yeah. Yeah, and you just, there's no appetite for it. You just think, well, that's not an ending. Like, yeah, there's no pause between those two. And I just, as you can hear, I was, I had vitriol about Lucy. This one, I just have apathy and annoyance and frustration. Were you really. looking forward to seeing this film? I was, yeah. I went to the cinema. It was absolutely packed. So it must have been the first couple of days after it came out. Absolutely packed. We were right down near the front. And uh, yeah, there was a. It was just. Uh, we just realised it was shit. Um, and it, everyone around us did as well. Did you just, say that in the cinema? You were like, did you say it to whoever you went? Were you like, oh, this is bad? Yeah, I was there with my partner, Nick. And we, yeah, we actually just whispered, this is really shit, isn't it? <laughs> and from then, we got to just laugh at the film. And it was actually, there was an enjoyment in that because it became stupid. And yeah. I don't know what it is with DC. What what can it be, honestly? Like, there's not, some, not something in the DNA. Is it they're just hiring the wrong people? Are they not spending enough time pre-production on these things? Like, having enough people? What is going on? I don't know. I mean, 
Yeah, it, that's a, a, a question for another podcast, I think. I think so, yeah. yeah just... Because we're about to ask that same question in our next <laughs> Again, film. Yeah. So just before so, we move on, what did mm, the critics say about this film? The critics, yeah. So what do you think the Metacritic score is for this film? Uh, oh, I'd say about 57. 44. Oh, wow. I didn't realise it was rated that badly. Yeah. There's some good and some bad. So Brian Truitt in USA Today said, Director Zack Snyder proves he just might be the biggest fanboy of all by creating a superhero movie suitably epic for having Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman and all their daring do. It will please either those... Those either waiting for the two main players to lock horns on a movie screen, or those who've just been pining for Wonder Woman forever. And for the nerdier group uh, crowds, a fleeting glimpse at other superheroes hints this is the dawn of something potentially sensational. What film were they watching? A fleeting glimpse, uh, something sensational. <sighs> yep, so... They hadn't seen Brian... Justice League yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brian Truett from USA Today never trusts his opinion again. Robbie Collin in The Telegraph um, <laughs> gave it 40%. He said, no major blockbuster in years has been this incoherently structured, this seemingly uninterested in telling a story with clarity and purpose. And then Jonathan Fisher in Slate gave it 10%. To put it delicately, this comics fan hated Batman vs Superman with the fury of a thousand red dwarf sons. Blunt, humourless and baffling. It collides the brutish directorial stamp of Zack Snyder with the most shameless instincts of our latter-day superhero franchise bubble. It is worse than the widely detested Joel Schumacher Batman films, including the one with the bat nipples. It is probably worse than the never-filmed Superman movie starring Nicolas Cage would have been. If Christopher <laughs> Reeve is spinning in his grave right now, it's not because Snyder's film so egregiously ignores what might make a superhero Superman film special, but because the throbbing Hans Zimmer and chunky XL score is loud enough to rattle a buried corpse. <laughs> He did not like this fucking corpse of a film. I don't think it's worse than the Joel Schumacher films. I think they I are do. I do. They are ridiculous. Bad. They're ridiculous, but I would rather this film was tongue-in-cheek ridiculous. You know, like, again, what I really don't like is films with pretensions of something more than they clearly are. They, You know, it's clearly shit. And whereas the Joel Schumacher films, obviously clearly shit, but... I had more fun watching that than this pile of mm. pants. Okay, so let's move on. <laughs> so we're going to take yeah. a quick break. After yeah. coming up after the break, we're going to stick the knife into DC some more and Warner Brothers, <laughs> and we're going to look at uh, 2016's other marquee release from them, Suicide Squad. So join Suicide us after the break Squad. to uh, to lament this. <laughs> Ta-ra. Right, so, welcome back. We've just had Sam's quite apathetic look back <laughs> on the worst film he thought of 2016 was Batman vs Superman. Um, worst film ever. Worst film ever. Okay. That's a that's a high, high benchmark there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I like I said, I don't think it's as bad as the Joel Schumacher films. I think they're generally awful. Um, I just think it swung and missed badly and like I said it was style over substance and it was a concept that didn't really have legs let's have Batman and V Superman oh let's try and make that work well it doesn't work because <laughs> you know sometimes these characters can cause conflict as 2016 proved with Captain yeah. America Civil War because they had a solid concept at the heart of it for the characters to disagree over and this film that film didn't have that at all it failed 
Unless you've you, got another failure. <laughs> would you like to know what the solid concept of failure in Suicide Squad is? <laughs> Go on. Uh, it's the fact that, um, frankly, they can get a group of criminals to uh, destroy a interdimensional being. <laughs> in the form of Enchantress. Yeah, this is it. This is the thing with... Yeah, with the Enchantress. And also, they set up a Suicide Squad. Let's set up a squad that could save the president from Superman. <laughs> it's like, stop trying to do this because you can't stop Superman unless you've got kryptonite. Don't send this bunch of ragtag muffins. Yeah. So, the central premise of this film is what Sam just said. It's, <laughs> well, aren't we lucky... Someone does it in a bit of exposition. He's... There's... Um, I think it might actually be David Harbour. I didn't. Uh, no, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah is, David yeah. Harbour basically goes, "Well, thank God, Superman shared our values. But what if he came and ripped the top off the White House and killed the president? Oh, because that's your only concern. That he killed the executive. Okay, well, and what you, if Oprah Winfrey takes a dump at the at the uh, Super Bowl? What are we gonna do then? Yeah. <laughs> well, we're throwing hypotheticals oh my, around. Like you're the world's most powerful government I'm sure you've got contingency plans in place for when <laughs> yeah like they've got nuclear fucking warheads how is this bunch of people better than that well as uh, Batman vs Superman proved that nukes don't do anything to Superman well what's like what's an Australian with a baseball pack and a two boomerang <laughs> and a guy who's good at shooting actual bullets <laughs> yes unless those bullets are lined with kryptonite yeah, they're not. Gonna they do should have shit. just not. They should not have mentioned Superman because that's just it. Just killed them from the start. Sorry. So give us a synopsis. Give us a bit more. So that's the premise of the film. So you've got uh, shadowy. I don't know. Is she CIA? I think she. I think she works for one of these departments that uh, DC made up, and I can't remember the name of it because it's not relevant. <laughs> it um, but she's this Machiavellian type. Political. Amanda Waller. Yeah, political operator in the shadows, uh, you know, bureaucrat whose the power's clearly gone to her head by her mandate that she's been given, played by the wonderful Viola Davis, who is quite arch in this, I must admit. She mm, yeah. she's in a different film. She <laughs> quite is, frankly. She is. She's in a better film. <laughs> she's in a much better film. So I like to call this film uh, Will Smith's uh, Smothers Everyone Else's character development film <laughs> oh and and margot robbie's good looking so let's develop her character more than everybody else's <laughs> despite the film being called suicide squad not not deadshot and harley quinn and their mates mm. it's the suicide squad so in her theory, her butt cheeks get much more exposition than katana and slipknot, <laughs> slipknot. <laughs> he can climb buildings really fast now he's dead <laughs> he doesn't get one of those you know shitty moments uh, shitty screenshots with all the info that you can't read in the cinema yeah so there's two ways you can basically sum up why this film failed and failed badly it is poor poor premise by a long shot and poor well no not even poor Jared Leto that is the <laughs> other way you can sum up what's wrong with this film. Jared fucking Leto, to use his full name. Yes, I don't blame Jared Leto for what he did. I blame <sighs> the director and the editors and the producers for basically... And the costume. And the costume. Oh, oh my God. Now, On that... oh. though I hate this film, I don't hate what Jared Leto and these costume designers decided to do with that character. I actually think, how do you, in, how do you go in a different direction from what they had with... Um, 
Heath Ledger. So he's kind of like the 90s grunge Joker. Well, what would Joker look like in 2015, 2016? Not a, not a douchebag who has damaged tattoos. And he's got that smile tattooed on the back of his hand. That's like that's like the, the douchey Joker equivalent of having a tattoo uh, of a moustache on the back of your finger. Like, that was so shit. That was so shit. See, I can see. I I don't know. I quite like the look of him because he is a he's a contemporary dickhead. He's got tattoos on his face. That's it. He's a dickhead. He's not scary or like interesting or chaotic. It's like if somebody calls himself quirky, you go, "Well, I don't want to speak to you then." You know, like be quirky <laughs> if you want, but don't be so self-aware that you're quirky yeah. that I think you're just affecting this quirkiness. Right. It's an affect. It's all affectation. So you it's think like it's all a, affectation? It's like a first-year uni student version of Joker who's really <laughs> trying to reinvent himself as the Joker. He's got damaged tattooed on his fucking forehead, and he's he's put a lot of effort in. He's put the effort in when he's sat there, when he's lying there, surrounded by knives. He's put so much effort into looking like that. Do you know how long it takes to put that many swords and knives out? I mean, obviously, I don't know because my lawyers told me not to say that I know things like that. But anymore, that is so shit, isn't it? Like, oh my god. Sorry, really? You don't, you don't have a problem with that? It's it's so shit. It's so. Yeah. I can see. I can. I understand your reaction. Um, <laughs> it makes t- perfect sense. I am not going to argue. <laughs> At all, because you're right. <laughs> so, because <laughs> I agree. <laughs> so, when I first saw this film, I basically said to myself, "There's a good film in there somewhere. If only the editors could see it as well." <laughs> Upon reflection, what this film is really there isn't. <laughs> there isn't. No, there isn't a film there anyway. So, it's directed by David Ayer. Now, David Ayer, he was the man who uh, made the film Fury. Quite a good film. He's mm. also the man who made. Um, well, see, he actually wrote. Um, uh, the film Training Day, or was one of the writers on Training Day, which, right. if you've ever seen it, a very good film. Um, but he also directed Bright and this, so it's very much like Bright. He also directed End of Yeah, it is actually. He also directed the very good End of Watch again. Helped write right. that. Yeah, or this wrote is that. it. Yeah, what a CV. Some of those there mean this could be a good film. Yeah. Um, so I've written here what went wrong with it. So you've got a terrible villain in Enchantress. She's terrible. And her, and her brother. Yeah, who just happens to be there randomly. Like, Big if CGI. she can... Like, there's a scene at the beginning where she, they show the powers that she has, um, she, where she she can um, transport anywhere she wants. You yeah. Know, so Miles Teller would be all over her. Um, <laughs> and she transports into Iran, into Tehran and steals some secret documents. Why yeah. doesn't she just do that with the heart that she has in her That's it, that's box? it, that's the movie How did the it. heart... Yeah, yeah. How yeah. did the heart get into the box? How it did... says in her bio, like, oh, powers, uh, like, unlimited or whatever, you know. Yeah. That's it. Well, like, she oh. can't be a villain then. She can't be a villain because she's in... in Infinitely strong, <laughs> infinity strong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, look, this film's broke you so much you can't even form sentences correctly. <laughs> She's infinitely strong. <laughs> yeah, and then it becomes just terrible CGI, fucking blackberry-headed monsters. Not the phone. And what's the black- it, does, it, it does it in about two sentences. They don't worship us anymore. They worship machines. All right, well, we'll fuck them over. We're going to kill them all then. <laughs> right, okay, so we set up. We've got a bad guy. Okay, that's fine. We don't need to have a proper That is motivation. the premise. Like, the yeah. bad guy in this film is so under... Well, the 
the villain because you're meant to sympathise with the villain in this film because yeah. she's one of she's also by the way what is it with people who have PhDs in this film being terrible at their job <laughs> why she opens this it cracks the statue right up cracks then it up and there. that's a 2000 year old artifact you've just uh, what's up who, where did you get your degree from? America, <laughs> University of America, Samoa, like in Breaking Bad. <laughs> yeah, who trained you in archaeology? Myra Hindley. <laughs> Fucking hell. Now you've got to bury it under the flags. <laughs> oh, my days. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Harley Quinn is falling it? for the Joker. Like, <clears throat> now, oh, I believe, yeah. apparently, Jared Leto has said that there's more of that that was filmed. Mm. but never got it into the final edit. I would have loved to have seen... I really want to see that. I really want yeah. to see a That's good an interesting Stockholm syndrome type manipulation yeah. thing that makes no sense in this film, but could make sense in maybe their own film. Why is DC rushing to do all these films? Why can't we have oh, that film? Who knows, Sam? And this yeah. is it. With that, like, that's a genuinely interesting process because that gives credibility to this version of the Joker. If he yes. can manipulate this intelligent woman to yeah because we be don't believe this her. one can the one we've been given we don't believe he yeah, can to do be that, his, his minion essentially that yeah he's so, and you know she's like the, the battered who becomes like a battered housewife essentially yeah you know if you ever but hear still standing up for him and yeah like you ever hear stories of like famous poets or artists who had you know temperamental relationships with their equally um doting and talented mistresses or wives it always comes back to the theme of they ended up going back for two reasons the socioeconomic situation they were in mm-hmm. and that truly deep down they thought that they were both inseparable you know yeah. I think Frida Kahlo is a great example of this her, I can never right, remember his yeah. name but her husband cheated on her like a bastard but she still <laughs> loved him because she recognised that he had genius that she had inside him and then you know um, Dylan Thomas's wife or was terribly cheated on but she recognised somebody like her yeah I don't know if she yeah, was exactly, a published yeah. I think maybe that might be a bad example but I think similar Ted Hughes and Sylvia Plath you know there's, there's lots yeah. of these examples yeah yeah I mean that's a bad example because she killed herself but <laughs> yeah. but you know put with it for a while and in fact I'll tell you what a little recommendation here I'll put it on Twitter um, a YouTuber called The Closer Look did a really excellent video essay on how to fix it and did a, actually wrote a couple of scenes trying to explain how you could have maybe done their like romance yeah. how you could have done their bit you know that was much more interesting <laughs> so I'll, I'll make a link to that if she wasn't because obviously you know the backstory of Harley Quinn you know that she's a psychiatrist she, she, if she was just some blonde, dumbass bimbo who was following him around, you'd be like, why is she interesting? You're like, oh, yeah. no, she's interesting because because she is a fallen woman who fell for the wrong guy. And yeah, I quite find that I like that idea. I like that yeah. this could happen because it's comic books and stupid shit happens in comic books that doesn't happen <laughs> in the real world. So let me, let's play this out. But no, all you get no. is a few crappy montages where the Joker seems to be in love with her, but then shows that he has a callous disrespect for her at all times. Yeah. Um, right, so, yeah, the editing's bad, the the villain's terrible, the plot is is nonsensical, because how are people with... Like, there's only one character who has any real power, and that's Diablo, because he can shoot fire yeah. out of his arms. Every, and, everyone and he else, doesn't want to use it, because if he did, then they would solve a lot of the problems sooner. Yeah, because ex, deus ex machina, whatever they call it. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll this tell you is, now. This, like, the plot of this film, right? Okay, so 
if you're going to set up a premise at the start, that should be what you follow. Not let's set up this premise and then a bunch of things happen at random, and then we sort of need those people's kind of anyway, even though we hadn't really anticipated what actually happened. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Oh. So I, th- I think I started watching this film, and I realised within about. Probably half an hour. I gave it its chance. I think when they introduced June Moon into it, and she could just, she. I think when she cracked open the, um, the jars, <laughs> I was like, "Well, that's not what an archaeology is." You don't have to have a history degree to know that she wouldn't do that. <laughs> oh, you know that. <laughs> My little sister knows that. My daughter knows that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh man, it's so angry. Right, but there's one thing. Above all else, and we mentioned this in the last episode on, uh, sorry, on part two of our uh, decade retrospective, I have one scene that I hate in this film the most, and it's the scene where Amanda Waller, when they basically <laughs> get to where they're supposed to be, they find the Suicide Squad, or the remaining members of the Suicide Squad, find out that what they've been trying to, the asset they've been trying to retrieve all this time turns out isn't some MacGuffin, it's Amanda Waller, who's just oh. happens to be in the middle of Midway City during this attack. That's a coincidence, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, it is a coincidence, FYI. <laughs> Fucking hell. She just happens to be there, despite probably being based in Washington. Yeah. And then she... So what she then does, because for plot reasons... <laughs> not for any logical reason no, or anything like that. No. Just to make you feel a feeling in that the, moment and then the film, immediately hate yourself for feeling that feeling. So you walk in and she's in a little... She, Amanda Waller's in like a little nerve centre trying to contain this threat, right? And there's a few people there who work for her. And she basically instructs them to all to destroy their laptops and the data on it about uh, Enchantress and what's been happening. Once they've done that, she pulls out a pistol and murders about five <laughs> people without a second's hesitation. Innocent people with high security clearance who who do, do not need to be killed in that moment. Yeah. She's not a double agent. She's not like turning her back on the US government or that. Nope. Just murders a bunch of people. Nope. So, so then you go, oh, that's a bad person with a bad plot or something. Bad idea. You know, she's got a scheme. So here I've put, in my notes, I've put, her job is to protect the public. These people are invaluable for a pu- from a purely operational point of view. Why would you kill them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You'd still, you, they've now, so they've, they've got merit. Because, do you know how long it takes to train an FBI agent? Honestly, yeah, to be at that high level. Like a lot of <laughs> FBI agents are graduates. Then they've probably got a master's themselves. They tend to go to like... Ivy League universities in America, and yeah. uh, most of them. Um, I think it takes like a year to like do the initial training. I think and you possibly then... need to be a cop for a while anyway. You need to, you know, somebody maybe start at the bottom. Maybe they start as a beat cop for years. <laughs> Perhaps, yeah, yeah. Um, you've, you, you know, you're not, you're not your run of the mill private eye out of the yellow pages. You're yeah. somebody who's been vetted and vetted again and shown to have extreme skill in the area that you're interested in. So murdering these people is of no value to your nation that you are sworn to protect. Yeah. Fuck me, that's fucking dumb. Because it's oh. almost like they've it's almost like this is the they've changed their mind after the event and they've edited what it was gonna be. Because it was just in my memory, she does that and then immediately she becomes she's a yeah, she's like She's working for the Joker, or she's working for some shady 
Yakuza or something like that. She's working outside the American system, and she's not that. that no. Like, what is her motivation? Would you like to that? hear the line she justifies for murdering her <laughs> colleagues on, and innocent peoples? <laughs> yeah, go on. She says, um, she basically says her response to Flag is they weren't cleared for any of this, any of it. <laughs> oh yeah, that makes sense. Oh, because the news didn't show this big fucking monster on the television. Yeah, so she's like, she has to murder everyone who watched the news that we night because they didn't this. have clearance. Yeah, they couldn't have like. I'm sure they haven't signed an NDA or anything like that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> fucking. Oh god. And I've put if they worked for the FBI, they will. The FBI will run their own investigation into why their agents were murdered. Yeah. They are the FB fucking I, not some cheap, you know, run the mill yellow pages detective. Yeah. Oh. yeah. I've put they're the, they're the most well funded investigative agency in the world. Yeah, it's not her Buncombe County Sheriff Police. <laughs> yeah. Know, it's, Second, yeah. we don't need to see more of why Waller is a bad character. We already know because she is manipulating people like Flag and like June Moon and Kitana. They, they're they killed for a plot convenience. If you yeah. wanted to show Waller's callousness, just have her lie to them and say another team is on the way to get them. They may survive and, you know, they can be of use in... Uh, if they're a problem later down the line, then she can deal with it there. There's no reason for... Why she would kill those people, and that was that at that point, it just this film. I was already flagging, no mm. pun intended, <laughs> to why yeah. uh, why I could have any sympathy for this film. Yeah, I, I just hate that decision. It just <laughs> it's so necessary. You yeah. know, she's a mani- master manipulator. She's yeah. clearly framed in every scene as a villain, and that she, and that performance. It's very clear what she's doing is. This is not a nice person. <laughs> we know that. It's Viola Davis. She's doing a good job. <laughs> but it's Rick Flagg's reaction to it is... Yeah. If that was me and I was Rick Flagg, even in the circumstances, I'd be like, I've just watched this woman murder some people yeah. for no reason. <laughs> Why is she still alive? Oh, <laughs> well, look at this machine gun I have in my hand. <laughs> oh, I think I've just done the world some good then. <laughs> oh, by the way, <sighs> let's all get out of here because... Um, I will now explain to my superiors when I get back. Oh, what happened to, you know, what happened to um, Jim Amanda Waller? And, and oh, she <laughs> murdered a bunch of people who like, were working <laughs> for her. Her corpses are at this address. <laughs> their yeah. corpses are at this address. You yeah. find the bullet wounds here. Yeah, they yeah. match her gun. Yeah, yeah. I'll go. You know, you can rest me now. We'll go to trial. We'll see what a jury, a court martial says about because <laughs> she extraditionally killed people without any justification. And I wreck. And I did what the state of you know, whatever Midway City's in would have done in a few years anyway. Yeah. And, but the thing oh, is, right, this this God. film suffers from a lot of the same problems as Bright, visually, as well as sort of plot structure-wise. It, it sets up really well. You kind of, you, you're on board with this idea. Have you seen Bright? Yes, I have. I don't hate it. I don't... No, there were so many good things and it was kind of building the world and then it was just this really boring, murky, underground... Just shoot 'em ups that I just you just don't care about, and it's been a bigger problem. We're talking about DC a lot. It's been a big problem with DC, kind of confusing. Well, if we just make everything dark and dusty, that's gritty and real. And it's like no, what's real is when you make realistic decisions, uh, yeah. and the violence is violent. That's what makes something real. It's not just 
that I can't see 30% of the screen. <laughs> it's, it's when things are hard-hitting and real, you know, and they hit home. Now, unfortunately, this film actually looks like it made money at the box office. <laughs> so it was made on a budget of 175 million. These are all estimates, but they're yeah. thereabouts. Not a lot of money. Yeah, That's I, a lot of money. For I can't see 175 million on that screen. By the no, way. no, you can't. No. Oh, by the way, um, <laughs> helicopter crashes are just the way people get around in the universe <laughs> yeah. because they're not fatal to anyone unless uh, you know you you happen to be unless it needs to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it made seven hundred forty-six point eight million back Jesus. worldwide. And I contributed to that, and I feel bad about that. Yeah, and, yeah. and even even so, the the one that's coming out next year or whatever is is kind of like a soft reboot. And you go, that's they've they've you know they've quadrupled their money and then some, and yet there's still a, a critical need for a soft reboot because it was so panned and hated. Yeah. Would you they like to? Know, speaking of critical reception, would you like to know the score on this? Yeah. On Metacritic, uh, my when, guess when would be guess, yeah. yeah. So Lucy got sixty one. I think this probably got 50. Uh, take away 10 and you've got the answer. Uh, 40. Yep. Would you like to know what the tomato meter had for it? Uh, it seems to vary. Like, I'll say 45. <laughs> 27. Jesus, right. The okay. audience was a bit kinder. You were closer to your audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Right. Of, it got 59%. What did the critics say then? Um, let's have a look. So Peter Bradshaw in The Guardian said, Suicide promises madness and a dense downpour of madness is what it delivers. <laughs> <laughs> he gave it three stars, though. I can't what? Believe... Out yeah, of five? Yeah. When I read that first, I was like, oh, yeah, that's him being quite nice. And then I realised, oh, no, a dense downpour of madness. <laughs> that's not a nice way of describing something. But three out of five is really, really generous. Yeah. So... Anthony Lane in The New Yorker put the new superhero film Suicide Squad starring Will Smith and Margot Robbie will make viewers uh, feel both exhausted and hollow as if a whole lot of nothing has just thundered by. That's right. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. You're kind of exhausted by it and you go, I don't care anymore. And finally, Robbie Collin in The Telegraph said Suicide Squad is a crushingly puerile semi-pornographic slog. You know what? This is the problem. It's made um, with 13-year-old boy sensibility. And you can see that in the leering close-ups of Margot Robbie's body. And you can see it in the way that the characters talk to each other. They're the kind of characters who would say that they banged somebody. (laughs) And that's only a 13-year-old boy who says that sort of thing because they've seen it on Fast and Furious or Entourage or something like that. Do you know what I mean? It's got that sensibility to it. Yeah, it's just the editing and that scene with Waller just breaks me. That's what broke me for it. I just I, I checked moment, out at that point, and there's still some shit to come. There's the bit where it's like when um, Holly Quinn like kneels down in front of Enchantress when she's expositioning, and it's like, well, she stood right next to the sword. She can clearly <laughs> see the sword. <laughs> she's, you know, it's not it's not not in a peripheral. It's probably reflecting in her eye, if anything. She's like, oh, what's that? Oh. Oh, it's that sword that you're kneeling. Wait a minute. I see what you're trying to do here. Yeah. I, I really wish Will Smith wasn't involved in this film because he hijacks it. There's wanton mm. to Will Smith to do. I like Will Smith. He's got a forceful personality of excitement, enthusiasm, but he doesn't play bad guys. He's not a good bad guy. He's, he's not, too likable. He's just like, in this, he tries to be unlikable. And yeah. you're just like, no, I don't buy it. This is it. And I think... 
I would have watched a Harley Quinn movie before this, Harley Quinn and Joker. I probably would have watched a Deadshot movie as well. Those two would have been better than this film. And if they'd already been made, this film could film could have been so much better not having to do that legwork and having characters that we care about and then maybe developing some of the characters uh, as well. There's, a, there's another... Uh, YouTube video I'd highly recommend for the listeners. I know I'm just recommending other people's products here. But, you know, yeah. it, it's it's really good work. There's this 35-minute video called The Art of Editing and Suicide Squad that I've now seen four times. <laughs> <laughs> and I've only seen the film twice. It's by Folding Ideas. Folding Ideas, really brilliant. Um, Did you watch the film YouTuber. again to be like, oh, is this as bad as I thought it was when I saw it in the cinema? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I saw it in the cinema... Watch this video maybe once or twice about how the the editing is so bad. I mean, I never thought I'd be watching a 35-minute video about the editing of a film that I didn't like. Um, but it's very entertaining and really insightful. Watch the film again. It's like the text, though, right. isn't it? The text on the film, when it's introducing all the different yeah. characters, it's like it flashes up and you can't read it. So, yeah. Yeah, so they find a... that they have, to re- they have to introduce them again. They have yeah. to do the same thing, and it's just they like it it's twice. inefficient. And there's and on a textual level, there's a there what's it called black the black swamp or something where the prison is, and the text is black, and it's over some green grass, but then it goes over water in which is black, and you can't see it. Yeah. And it's like a twelve year old using PowerPoint and not thinking about oh, how that if they put if they put pink on magenta or whatever if they put some colours on some backgrounds they're not going to see words. These colours professional editing suite <laughs> colours like this were a response to Batman versus Superman and all the and they went oh fuck we've got what six months before this film comes out <laughs> we need to do something drastic we need to make it more likeable and lively so they just threw in a bunch of text and they um, <laughs> changed I think they did another trailer which was meant a bit which was set to Don't Stop Me Now by uh, Queen wasn't it or they had no, we sorry, do have to Bohemian yeah. Rhapsody didn't they we've got they to talk used. about the pop music in this film they said oh it worked for Watchmen and it's worked sometimes in like Back in Black for uh, Iron Man let's just chuck all of your dad's favourite pop songs from the 60s and 70s into this you know House of the Rising Sun and blah 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 um, mm. and let's just hope that it's entertaining but it's it's just right on the nose and it's it's off-putting. It's every 20 seconds is a new song. Yeah. It's like, let's put something you like over something that shit. <laughs> yeah. It's like and you'll hopefully washing. associate them. <laughs> yeah. It's so irritating. Yeah, so, as you can imagine, I think that was the worst film of the decade. Because, it's my, again, with Fantastic Four, it's my anticipation of the film. Mm. I was like, well, Batman versus Superman wasn't very good. But I think, no, in fact, the anticipation was built before Batman versus Superman because I hadn't seen that come out yet. So I hadn't seen that train wreck. So I was like, oh, getting excited for these DC properties coming out. Yeah, Yeah. I've got Batman, I've got Batman versus Superman, I've I've got Suicide Squad. You know, that's, they could be interesting, they could be exciting, they could be fun, they could be, you know, a bit grittier because I'm not, do you know what? As much as I like the Marvel films, sometimes I think they are a bit too light-hearted. And yeah. I want to see a bit of gritty in the superhero Yeah, because Dark Knight is better than almost all, if not all, MCU films. You know, yeah. it's that gritty, realistic, thoughtful, thought-provoking thing. <laughs> Endgame is... Sorry, uh, Infinity War is as good as the Dark Knight. That's that. They're both as good as each other, and it's it's almost the exception, isn't it? Dark Knight trumps all you know all the other things. It trumps the lightness mm. of Thor Ragnarok and, and all that. But yeah, yeah. But and with yet this, ruined it. God, didn't they just? And the fact, and now you've got 
and so for next year when uh, sorry now this year so when that harley quinn movie comes out i think that looks absolutely terrible well this is it it's put me off i haven't seen aquaman i haven't seen wonder woman i barely saw justice league you know i'm i'm probably i might even watch the new suicide squad and i don't know why i was a sucker (laughs) i went and saw uh justice league because i was like oh well they've only had a year but maybe they'll you know because it was about 18 months between Batman versus Superman and Justice League coming out. So yeah. they had, and with the how terribly received uh, Suicide Squad was as well, I thought, they're going to make fixes, they're going to make it better. Obviously, Zack Snyder left the project for family, personal reasons, you know, that's, yeah. you know, tragic circumstances. And honestly, Josh Whedon must have come in and gone, what is this absolute mess? There's a thing yeah. now at the minute about the, the Snyder Cut apparently exists of Justice it's League. It's just not going to be anything a, good, is why it? would Warner Brothers release it and distribute yeah. it? B, what makes anyone think that Josh Whedon is a worse director than Zack Snyder? Where, <laughs> where in the scale of these things? Because Josh Whedon, for, for his faults, puts character into his plots into his films you know you can't say that there isn't characters in them it you know he helped develop iron man he helped develop uh, thor and you know he helped bring these characters to life when you know they could have gone off in terrible directions left to poorer directors hands yeah just, yeah, there's no way that there's a Snyder cut out there that you go, oh wow, that's, that's actually a much great better. film. Yeah, Joss Whedon certainly cut, wouldn't have done much worse than Zack Snyder's would have been, I think. Yeah, but you know that's that's something else. Honestly, <laughs> I don't. I think I think they took the elements that worked from the DC films. I think they've gone right. Harley Quinn, yeah, she was good because she's good in this film. Margot Robbie does a solid job, and I do. If this film is good, which I don't think it's going to be, I just <laughs> don't see it. Yeah. I watched Aquaman, I heard it was good, but it really wasn't. Um, it's just a bit lightweight, I think I would describe it as. It just doesn't yeah. seem to have uh, any real dramatic tension in it. Uh, and as, lo- as long as they're making money, they'll they'll still keep trying, because they've seen yeah. that MCU has made over $20 billion gross. Yeah. There's money to but be made J- in this. But Jason Momoa, as Aquaman, is good. And you go, yeah, he's well, brilliant. that film wasn't very good. You know, but the bits in Justice... Uh, sorry, the bits in... Justice League that he's in, he's actually quite good. You yeah, know, when he's when he's given the right material. Yeah, and I just Aquaman, don't know. Like, there's so much money and so much, uh, like, so many great products here. That why isn't the best person for the job available for it and doing it? Why do they keep going back to, to Zack Snyder first of all? Why isn't somebody out there who can do this sort of thing doing it? I don't know, Sam. It's <laughs> it's probably. Let's be let's be honest. It's probably not as easy as we're making it out here to be. No, of course, I'm of not... course. And a, and a film is is a million moving parts. But how can one studio be getting it so right, another another so wrong when they've got the resources? You know, you could say it comes down to creative control. Ultimately, that they yeah. they they gave creative control to the wrong people. I think and then so. Interfered. I, I'm not holding. I mean, Shazam's okay. It's a kids' film ultimately, which mm. is quite fun. Um, I I quite like Henry Cavill as Superman. I think he's a solid Superman. I think give that guy a decent script, a decent film. I think the reason they're saying basically he's not Superman anymore is he wanted to make a Man of Steel too. He right. he, he was probably pushing for that, and 
and they just think, oh no, that's this seems like an idea at the studio that a standalone Superman film now won't work. Where of <laughs> all the characters, a standalone Superman film is the most likely and believable film that would be interesting because you go, yeah. well, Superman can go off and do adventures on his own because he's fucking yeah. Superman. <laughs> he could go on another planet if he needed to. Yeah. yeah. He can yeah. go meet Martian Manhunter or the Green Lantern because he can, <laughs> you know, because he can fly it faster, you know, he can fly to another planet if he wants. He can do <laughs> literally anything a god can do. You know, he I beats, mean, uh, <laughs> in Justice League, he, be- he beats, um, the villain of the piece, what's he called? Steppenwolf. Um, Steppenwolf, in about three seconds. And it only stops <laughs> yeah. beating him to shit when he realises the civilian's still there. <laughs> Fuck me, that film. <laughs> Those films are bad. I, I saw just, uh, both so, of them yeah. in the as well. I didn't see Suicide Squad, because, do you know what? Just Discretion was the better part of Valor with that film. <laughs> it certainly was. Right, Sam. Yeah, I think we're done trashing DC. Um, yeah. yeah. Any final thoughts before we go on the films we look back on tonight? I want to I want to end on a positive note, but I really can't find a reason uh, other than we've watched these films, so you don't have to. Please don't watch these films if you have. If you have seen them, let us know what you think. Where could they let us know what they think, Hugh? Right, so what they need to do... Oh, God. <laughs> do they need to spend 300 million on a shite blockbuster and then we'll talk about it in 10 years and then... Uh, you took something. the words right out of my mouth. How <laughs> did you know? But if they uh, if want to... Uh, hired get... by DC and Warner Brothers, yeah. Yeah, if you want to uh, contact us, though, by email, you can contact us, pleasewatchthis.pod at gmail.com. Sam, if they want to find us on Twitter or any other platform... That's on the internet. How can they find us? <laughs> they can find us on the internet. Twitter, yeah, at Please Watch Pod. Find us on Facebook. We're called Please Watch This. Also, you can at Please Watch This. Oh, sorry, Please Watch Pod. Uh, on the Facebook, if you like, we are going to be active on Twitter. I'll be sending loads of links out so you can see these excellent videos that have inspired us um, in our opinions. But thank you for listening to the show. Really look forward to speaking to you some more. Sam, I'd like to say it's been a pleasure, but I'd be lying. Do you know what? It's been therapeutic. I feel like (laughs) I don't have to talk or think about these films ever again. again. I watch video essays on these films at least two or three times a week, and now I feel like it's done. They're put to bed, and then, or they've they've buried them, but then there's some soil on the on the coffin, and as soon as I go to bed right now, when I look away, <laughs> that soil is going to levitate, and he's going to be right fucking back for the sequel. So. The soil levitate. <laughs> he's what, dead. He... Oh. Superman's alive by having soil <laughs> levitate. That makes fucking sense, doesn't it, Zach? Yeah, style. Yeah, Jesus. Oh. Right. Well, uh, listeners, maybe maybe tell us what your worst films of the decade were, and uh, we'll we'll mention them next week. Okay, well, all right. We love you guys. From me, and it's goodbye from him. All the best. Take care now. Bye. Bye.